The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, wherever or whenever you might be listening. Welcome to another episode of Shaggin' Flies with Ben and Zach. Back after a two-week hiatus, this is the aforementioned Zach bringing you a conversation with PitcherList's own Max Greenfield this week. Max is a former intern for the Washington Nationals. He's a Northern California native, and we spent a whole lot of time talking about baseball for the second episode in a row. Weird, huh? But just all about working in baseball and the state of baseball, and Max has some pretty pretty interesting ideas about the state of the game as, as a whole, so I'll let him he, him, whichever it is, do most of the talking about what those ideas are and how we would fix baseball and any advice to people trying to work in the game and all that stuff. Uh, so without further ado, here is episode 17 of Shaggin' Flies. So it's like called like rainbow, or it's called unicorn farts. That's what it's called. It's called unicorn farts. And they actually put glitter, like edible glitter in the beer. So when you pour the beer into a glass, it's all sparkly. It's it's some weird stuff. I, I wish it was. <laughs> That's a bit intense. That's I know. Going, too much going on there. Yeah, I'm like yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm a fairly simple man with my my yeah. alcohol tastes. I say I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't need anything fancy. I just uh, regular old beer. And I used to I used to always I like just straight bourbon now. But I used to. Uh, mix my I used to mix my bourbon or whiskey all the time I could never drink it straight and then eventually I just kind of got used to it definitely an acquired Mm -hmm. taste but for sure anyways Max thank you for being here on shagging flies it's fun to have you here yeah Max Greenfield weeks yeah not uh not not the Max Greenfield of new girl fame but a no. different Max Greenfield. I'm sure you get that a lot. Do you get that a lot? I do get it a lot. Yeah. yeah. Every, yeah, every time yeah, yeah. they're like, hey. hey. I remember when the first show first came out, I was I kind of ran with it myself. I was just like, hey, look, I'm so good. Because he got yeah. nominated for like a few Emmys for the show. Yeah, yeah he's so great. I was, uh, I was like, hey, look at me go. Like, I'm doing so good. But then it, now <laughs> it's been like, you know, nine, ten years. So it's sort of like, okay, the, the joke is kind of lost. It's yeah. Lost and now he's like, he's, of, uh... he's still got other things. And it's like, all right, he's still there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fortunate there's not a famous Ben Palmer. I well, actually, there kind of is. So if you Google Ben Palmer, 
there is a somewhat famous comedic director in England named Ben Palmer who had like some success. He wasn't like huge, but enough success that like if you Google Ben Palmer, um, that's the first guy that pops up was this comedy director in the UK. One of uh, one of my best friends growing up, his his dad's name is Michael Scott. So, oh, you know. oh, poor guy. <laughs> oh, that poor man. I oh. I think he's taken it pretty well. You know, he's unfazed. Yeah, I'd say. Well, I knew so. I knew a Phil Collins. I knew a guy named Phil Collins. <laughs> Oof. And uh, he actually, so he told me <clears throat> that he went to a Phil Collins concert, and somehow was able to meet Phil Collins. Oh, and Phil singer. Collins recognized him and, and said, "Oh no, no, but you he, let he, that man drown." Well, yeah. You did. <laughs> uh, so he said, "He uh, the Phil Collins that I know walked up to singer Phil Collins was like, hey, man, we have the same name.'" And he was like, "What? No way!" <laughs> and like Phil Collins, the singer, was fascinated by this. It was like, "Show me your driver's license." Like, like, was like, "No way, we have the same name." On the it's like it's not like exactly like a. No, it's not a Phil, yeah, of... Phil Collins. Yeah, <laughs> it's but not he... uncommon, but it's still somewhat like if you meet another person named Phil Collins, you're like, "That's, yeah, okay." Well, the the opposite end of that reaction was so. My dad's name is Jim Palmer, which we have mentioned on the podcast before, <laughs> and uh, my dad um, got to meet pitcher Orioles pitcher Jim Palmer, mm-hmm. and uh, they. My dad didn't say anything, but his sister was like, he has the same name as you. His name's Jim Palmer, too. And my dad said, pitcher Jim Palmer was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> could not have cared less. Like, like okay, cool. That's kind of fair, though. Like, It's fair and also pretty like on brand for pitcher Jim Palmer. Like, yeah. I don't care. But I understand that is true. I don't think there are many or any famous Zach Hayes's yet. Uh, but um, I got added last year or like, Maybe it was two years ago now. I don't know. My perception of time is out the window. But I got added to a Facebook group with like thirty-five other Zach Hayes who are <laughs> I who are I around the world. Be, I used to be in a Facebook group called <laughs> the Ben Palmer Coalition. <laughs> um, yeah, and some name? of those folks still just check in, and be like, "What's up, mates?" Yeah. What was the Zach life? <laughs> what was the name of that? I thought it was. It's not Zach Hayes, but it's close. What was the name of that show that Bo Burnham had on MTV for a year? Zach something is going to be famous. Zach. Stone. Uh, I have to Google man. it. Jeopardy theme Google music. It. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's uh, Zach Stone. Zach Stone. Zach Stone. Zach Stone. Okay, uh, never no, mind. I never saw My brother said it was really good. I never got around to seeing that. <laughs> I love just about anything Bo does. Bo's I'm, really I'm, funny. I'm a huge Bo fan. I feel like he's one of those comedians who's like, you either love him or you really just do not like him. Yeah. Like it's not there. There aren't too many people who are like, eh, I take him or leave him. Like it's, I, I think know. it's because his style is like, so it used to be like, so in your face with like the jokes that he would say were yeah, very well, like he, hard hitting, but he said it in such a, like a non chalant way. He would come in with it. Well, I think I, he, I, I haven't watched him too much. I am pretty neutral on him. I haven't watched more than like snatches here and there, but he kind of yeah. gives me a little similar. Tell me, tell me if I'm completely off, but what you're saying kind of gives me a similar vibe to like John Mulaney a little bit. Why people like him just a little um, kind of so, jokey and, you know, almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I would say and with, Oh, the thing. Yeah. Bo, the thing is, is like, 
he can come across as pompous or full of himself. Like he can definitely, if you're not kind of in on it, if you're not realizing that he's like playing a character sometimes, he can definitely come across as like this guy who thinks he is very, very, who is very smart, but knows it and is like showing off how smart he is. And his, his comedy is just full of a whole bunch of like, uh, meta self criticism, and like making a joke of like comedy is stupid. Like, what are like you're all paying yeah. to see me make stupid jokes? This is really dumb. And also, I'm stupid for even wanting to do this. And like, it's there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of like like I said, meta criticism to it. But I can understand why people wouldn't like him. But I would strongly recommend seeing uh, watching his new special. Inside is fantastic yeah i've wanted to watch it um my friend watched it the other day and he said it was really really well done like just an excellent uh it's like a hour it's a it's not too long it's an hour and a half it's um it's so the thing i love about it not only is it it it's funny but it definitely is like very serious at times too he's kind of it sort of paints a portrait of a person's mental state uh, slowly unraveling over the course yeah. of the year. Um, and, and it's the thing that I loved about it is it's just, it's beautifully shot. Like for a special that was shot entirely by one person in his house, uh, in his house, in one room in his house. Uh, it's, it's shot beautifully. I mean, it really is well done. Is it, was it shot like, that way as was it like shot during lockdown or something like that so the whole story kind of of it is um along about four years three or four years ago uh bo stopped doing live comedy period because he was having a lot of he was having anxiety attacks on stage which as somebody who has had an anxiety attack on stage i can tell you is not fun and he was doing it in front of thousands of people uh like frequently so he stopped doing it and just stopped touring live he did his movie eighth grade which is great if any great movie great really movie good if you movie. haven't seen yes it. um and then while he was in lockdown was kind of like well i think i should make something he he strikes me as a person who and i've met these people before who like have a need to make something like i just i just i have to create things i'm not i'm nothing if i'm not creating things i can't just sit still and while he was in quarantine in lockdown, he decided, all right, I'll create a new special. And it ended up taking like a year and a half. And it just kind of like hmm. sort of documents what I think is his fragile mental state, but a bit exaggerated because, you know, I mean, it's not like he didn't literally spend a year and a half in one room. He is, you know, uh, he has a house and like he lives with his partner and is wealthy like it's not like yeah, he... that's that's what i was thinking like yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm interested because i don't know much about him you know i've had a lot of i've seen a lot of thoughts and had a lot of thoughts about ways that celebrities have comported their, themselves throughout this entire thing and how some of their some some tone deaf things have been produced in that regard so i mean oh, yeah. everything that i've heard about burns it is very very thoughtful individual. oh yeah, yeah. And, should, and you know, yeah and curious he... to see what that I think he's kind of playing up. I think he definitely, you know, like he has, you know, talked about his mental health issues in the past. So I think he's probably playing it up a little bit uh, as part of a character for the special. But I wouldn't say it's not entirely fictional. I don't think. 
And no, it's, I, it seems pretty of, real from what I've heard. Like, yeah, he's basically, you know, laying his heart out in front of you of like, this is what it's like sometimes to be, yeah. you know, anxious, to be depressed. And like, sometimes you just don't have good days and you're just not going to have a good day. And it's just like that. And it's yeah. like this time period where, you know, obviously performing in front of thousands of people having anxiety attacks, that sort of reminds me of like Meg White of the White Stripes. Like that's why the White oh, Stripes yeah. broke up because yeah. Meg White just said she couldn't do it anymore. She was having anxiety attacks and it's really, she was, she was also treated really horribly by fans too. Oh, well. so bad. And I give Jack White credit. He defended her all the time, all the time. Yes. Like, always yes, be like, stop talking crap about Meg. And even now he's still like, we don't like just don't bring it up like don't do it but i remember yeah. watching if you haven't seen it there's the under the northern lights the documentary yeah. of that last tour mm, the mm, final yeah. scene is just jack Man. playing piano and meg's like crying on his shoulder and it's wow. just mm. it's so heartbreaking and that's what i've heard like that the this special from bo burnham is like it's just like this deeply emotional look into what it's like to be you know have anxiety in this time where you can't see people where you can't yeah. go out and like see your friends and it's sort of like what am i doing with myself am i am i living a positive life and it's, it's oh good yeah though. It's, it's good it's we big, need that kind of stuff yeah it's a big existential crisis and the people who i have talked to who really liked it uh just about all of them have said yeah i really like saw myself in that like it it, it felt like that's what this past year has felt like to me so i think a lot of people connected with it that way yeah. but Anyways, let's move yes. forward to Pitcherless Comedy Hour. Is uh, comedy <laughs> hour. I could, I could. Uh, there are a handful of things I could talk about forever. Comedy is one of them. I, I love talking about comedy, but I would like to talk about you, Max. Wow. Um, oh, I don't know yeah. if I can handle that. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> All we right. Could, well, that's uh, been a, been a wonderful you, episode of Shag and Flies. We found, <laughs> we found some of your old tweets, and we'd like to. Ask <laughs> Oh no! You know what's funny is a friend of mine actually did go through all of my old tweets at one point. He was just like, "All these are just bad jokes and baseball stuff." Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Yeah, why? What else would they be Uh, like?" I'll be honest. I probably should go through some of my old tweets because I first got I I hopped on Twitter like it was probably two thousand eight, two thousand seven. You're like Kutcher early. Really? I was was well. So I remember in high school. This is high school for me. I hopped on Twitter because someone told me it's like, oh, it's like Facebook, but you can text whatever your status update is because you could text the Twitter number at that time. Yeah. And that was your tweet. And uh, Twitter at that time for me was like, oh, that's the place my parents aren't. So I could say I could like use curse <laughs> words. You know, I could say things that I, I couldn't say around my parents. So being like a 16 year old in, you know, 2007. I probably tweeted some stuff that, like, looking back now, I'd probably be like, ooh, that wasn't <laughs> yeah. great. Uh, but I probably should do that. Probably should scrub this. Um, but anyways, Max, first thing I do want to ask you um, is where are you from? I, I know that you are a New York Yankees fan, and we will talk about that in a little bit. And, you know, I could assume that that you're from New York, but as we all know, Yankees fans are from all around. So where are you from? Uh, I grew up a Yankees fan, but then I got hired by the Nationals. So now I don't tweet about the Nationals as much as I should, but that's because I got my following on Twitter by following Yankee fans. And also because they're just so 
bad and they need to be corrected a lot. So I have yeah, to I feel, I feel like, like I that, have to chime in. Is that like is I'm, that like the summary of all of Yankees Twitter? They're so bad and they need to be corrected. <laughs> yes, I, yeah. I I feel like that's an accurate description. But I I am personally from uh Northern California. I grew I was born in Sacramento. I grew up in a town called Placerville, which is about an hour from Sacramento. I currently live in Roseville, California. But my dad is from New York. He went to Fordham University in the Bronx. So he raised me a Yankee fan because he grew up a Yankee fan. So people are always like, Max, how did you grow up a Yankee fan? But you're from yeah. California. Well, my dad's okay. He went to college in the Bronx. So I feel like that's I don't a know. pretty valid justification. Yeah. If you're going to get questioned for like a fandom that's not from the place that you're from, I feel like a Yankees is like pretty low on the list of people to be yeah. like, really? Why? It's like if a Florida person yeah. told you they were a Lakers fan or something. You're like, okay, that makes sense. Like, oh, yeah, I, that's, yeah, Lakers yeah, are the that's Lakers. Fair, that's fair. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yankees baseball fan, Lakers basketball fan, Patriots That's football fan. Yeah, <laughs> I I am a Kings basketball fan, so I do follow oh, the wow. Kings here. And I'm, yeah, I'm oh no, sorry. I, yeah. I'm. It's been bad. It's been so bad. The, the Kings I, are one of the few teams where, like, I've as a Wizards fan, I've been like, well, at least we're not the Kings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's like. That is what it's yeah. like to be a Kings fan. Yeah, so you have other people say, well, at least we're not would, Kings. I would still rather be a Kings fan, even oh, maybe not that a Kings fan than a Knicks fan, because it's like you have the same level of like general organizational incompetence and failure. But at least the Kings, no one's being like, you should be a powerhouse. You're in the greatest city in the world in the <laughs> garden, you know, like, I don't know. It's almost like being a White Sox fan in a way, just like nobody expects great things. So you can be bad and out of the way, a little bit, you know, <laughs> I think the only thing I would agree with you before this year, but then the Knicks all of a sudden looked extremely competent and well run and like played with a lot of energy and they were fun this year so meanwhile yeah. we lost we had, two you separate... get to year three <laughs> we had two separate like 12 game losing streaks so you know we had two not, I... not one we didn't have one we had two during the year we had two <laughs> separate 12 game losing streaks and i had to endure both of them and i was just like well this is what it's like yeah. Being a Sacramento Kings fan. <laughs> uh, the, the Kings, the Kings are uh near and dear to my heart, uh, partly because they had what my favorite player when I was a kid what played on the Kings, which was Peja Stojakovic. Ah, Peja. I yeah. was a huge, huge Peja fan. Um why? I don't know why. I don't know why. That's a great question. I was a huge Peja fan. I he I was a, a great shooter. I, so I had a thing for Deadly. great shooters. I NBA loved, Live 2005, man. He would nail that three point contest. I, I loved uh I really loved good three point shooters. I was a big like for the same reason I was a big Richard Lewis fan for the same reason. That's true. Um because I loved guys who were like deadly from three point range before it was you know fashionable to everyone shot threes you know oh, <laughs> yeah that's a hipster over here. no no i know in the early like you know, i like threes before they were cool <laughs> <laughs> right exactly no but i i loved peja for whatever reason in like middle school my two favorite nba players were peja and dirk Nowitzki, and those are the only two basketball jerseys i ever owned uh, no, wait, I had a Larry Hughes jersey, a Wizards Larry Hughes wow. jersey. Wow, now that's yeah, yeah. very that's random. That's a deep cut. 
Yeah, that's, that's that a, is man. wild. I had that's a Larry Hughes there. jersey. I forgot about you that. You could have given me 300 guesses and I would have <laughs> not come to Larry Hughes, I'll tell you. Hey, dude, he was good for like a couple years. Uh, oh, he was. He was on the Bulls for a cup of coffee, too. Yeah, that was right. Uh, Larry Hughes wasn't a bad NBA player, but it's just like if you ask how many people, right. like, oh, you're going to get Who a, Larry had a Larry Hughes, Hughes jersey. Especially during, during that era, if you were a Wizards fan, you were buying a Gilbert Arenas jersey, not Larry Hughes. But... I don't ben, remember at why. At least Larry Hughes one ages well. Yes. Yeah. Gilbert. That Gilbert. That one, not so much. That one didn't end quite as well. well. What has Agent Zero ever done to tarnish his name? I don't know. <laughs> he's he's super entertaining on social media. Though. I'll give him that. Oh, <laughs> yes, he is. Um, but no, I had. Oh, and then now I'm remembering all these other basketball. I had a Nick Caner medley jersey, Maryland Terrapins jersey. Guy never okay. even went to the NBA. I was a, I was a Terps fan, and my parents got me a. Terps jersey and it was Nick Caner medley. It's just like a talk about a deep cut. Our f- previous guest Connor Newcomb knew who he was because <laughs> he's a Maryland guy. But there's like yeah. there's like two people who know. <laughs> Nick Caner medley is like selling cars somewhere at this point. But um, <laughs> I was supposed to live in Maryland at one point in time when I was with the Nationals. I was supposed to be with the Hagerstown Suns, but then oh yeah, no, isn't that where uh, where Connor did his did That's, his announcement? Yeah, Connor. I, uh, so our yeah our previous guest Connor Newcomb. Uh, the one was episode a, I don't listen to clearly yeah, has man. the most connections. Yeah. After you really screwed up. Um, no, uh, uh, yeah, Connor did some announcing for Hagerstown until nice. now Hagerstown. Uh, what were they, the Suns? Did you say? Yeah, the Suns. I the Hagerstown Suns. I, I never even paid attention to them. Uh, and because of that, everyone they're all gone. Um. But anyways, yeah, so you are a California guy, a Kings fan, a Yankees fan. Football, are you a California football? I'm not that big on football, to be honest. Okay. Like, it's just my dad wasn't into it. Uh, maybe it's because, you know, again, you know, the Jets and Giants aren't exactly just like super well-run franchises. Yeah. Uh, so just wasn't really that into football. Like when the 49ers do well, like we tend to like try to be supportive of that. Like we'll watch the games and stuff. But generally speaking, like when football season's on, it's just sort of like, all right, when's baseball coming back or is back yeah. basketball on or yeah. something like that? Well, that's how, that's yeah, how it works in this that. house. I'm, yeah, I, I'm personally like I'm of the opinion if you have the option to not be a football fan, then like take it, spare yourself, <laughs> spare yourself everything yeah. that comes with being a football fan. I just want my line is I want the Bears to win one Super Bowl before I die and I can never give about football again like i want so desperately to not care about football well yeah <laughs> they won't know, let justin, me justin fields man like that's i know I, I was so shocked he fell my... i'm not again i'm not a huge football guy so again take my word with a grain of salt but i was pretty like confident that he was qb2 in the draft and people were like yeah that seems like a fair take and then they all of a sudden they're like no nah, he's like qb6 and i was like what happened i don't i don't know what happened there he just fell in like the last couple hey, of weeks you know what mate, the same the same process that gave us mitch trubisky might also give us justin fields so, you know <laughs> you know it's funny end. i have kind of a different perspective on football as a since i'm a ravens fan it's been <laughs> a lot less stressful being a football fan <laughs> over the past like 10 years just because generally speaking the Ravens have been pretty good. Like, yeah. you know, they won a Super Bowl and they've generally been a playoff team. There were a few years at the tail end of Joe Flacco's career where, like, we yeah. weren't quite making the Super or not quite making the playoffs, I mean. But, um, and things are a little frustrating. But now we've got, like, Lamar Jackson, who's, like, the most fun player to watch in all of football. And I He's cannot, so much fun. 
I cannot tell you how exciting it is to watch him every single week. I just, it is such a blast with the win or lose. I'm just like, this guy is just pure entertainment. It's so it, I feel, I feel less stressed. Like I feel stressed mm-hmm. talking about baseball, like as an Orioles fan, I feel stressed <laughs> as a wizards fan. Cause just there's this weird malaise of like around Washington sports, which I'm sure you are probably aware of the Nats, yeah. not so much, but like wizards and, and the football team. Uh, and then <laughs> the football team, the, yeah, you won a championship, you know. And the yeah, like, yeah, no, it's not, like, I guess it's more football, it's, bases, it's yeah. more no, you're right, you're right. It's the football, more, it's football, and, and basketball. Both so the both. caps were kind of frustrating because they had Ovechkin for so many years and just weren't really doing anything, <laughs> yeah, with them for a bit. So I get, I guess, from that angle, it's kind of frustrating. Of like, we have yeah. this group, it's sort of like being an Astros fan, like you had this great team very consistently and you just couldn't do anything but then i yeah. guess the difference is they finally won with their star and then the other is the star left and then they won which yeah i guess don't know how that works but there's whatever. yeah there's just this general like sadness around uh football team and wizards fans because both organizations are so poorly run and haven't won in a long long time like substantially won and have had pieces to win but just haven't like taken that next step but anyways so yeah. Um, all right. So you're a California guy. So how did you go? So it seems like you've been kind of before you were with the Nats, you did some sort of baseball stuff before you worked with the Lincoln Potters baseball club for a short bit. Yep. Uh, you did some, uh, work with, uh, sports info solutions. Like there was a lot of baseball work before you ended up with the Nats. Yep. So has that kind of is working in baseball kind of always been something you wanted to do? And how did, you know, a guy from California end up landing, you know, a job with the Nets? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, baseball. So I played baseball throughout most of my life. And then in high school, my uh, arm, my pitching arm, I'm right-handed, the tendon in my elbow not on the elbow on this side but like on the other side got so inflamed that it was on the verge of tearing that my shoulders were compensating so much for it that i actually dislocated my left shoulder on a swing and uh it happened once and then it happened again and then it happened again and eventually i went to the doctor and they're just like yeah it's just gonna keep happening um you can either get surgery and like that'll stop it and i was like well what's the recovery time and i'm a senior in high school at this point in time and like i had a few schools looking at me and like some juco's that i might have gone to um but then they were like yeah it's like a year and a half recovery time and i was like well that's just not really gonna fly (laughs) like you know the schools are not gonna be interested in that anymore and like so i was like I'll probably just ride it out with this, you know, finish out and then, but I can still go work in baseball. And like, I really liked the game and I knew I was good at it. And like, I had a decent enough knowledge. I not anywhere close to what I have now, but like, which shows how, you know, (laughs) ignorant really you are. If you think, you know, anything about baseball, nobody really knows anything. They're always just trying to discover more. And if you can admit that, then, you know, at least something um <laughs> it's then, like that's funny admitting you know nothing is means you know more than, exactly it's like the uh it's it's uh, uh the more you learn the more you realize you don't know yeah it's it's the uh what's the the line in the and the Tao Te Ching the the Tao that can be named is not the eternal Tao if you can name if uh if 
if you say you know everything, you know nothing. And if you say you know nothing, you know everything. <laughs> yep. That's sort of, that's sort of what it's like. And that's sort of what I thought about baseball is like, I know a decent amount, but also like there's still so much more that I have to learn. And so I went, you know, I went to the university of Arizona. I was there for three and a half years. Um, and then out of, you know, while I was at U of A before my last semester there, I was an intern for Lincoln Potters. I was the scorekeeper, ran the scoreboard, also did social media during the games, did pre-game and post-game interviews, wrote the game recaps, and then basically set up the field. So if there was a job that needed to be done, that was my job. <laughs> that was That's what that was I, like I, I had to do. We had seven or eight interns when the seasons uh, six, sorry, we had six interns when the season started. We ended with three. Uh, one intern quit after the first day. The other was gone after her. Yeah, I know. Great, right? Uh, uh, the other was gone I after like start. two, three weeks. Then the other, she made it through most of the season. And then all of a sudden, in like the last week or so, she just like didn't show up, didn't tell anybody. And just like, they were like, okay, like she's gone. So then there were three of us left. So we all had to like sort of step up. Uh, three or four of us left. I can't remember. But then we all had to step up and everything. And that was fun. I mean, it was still a good experience, like working. I would recommend like taking a job in summer ball or minor league ball, just so that way you get it. Like you get a really good perspective on baseball after that, like to understand that all the stuff that goes into putting together a product that, it, you know, major league baseball is major league baseball. There's hundreds of people working on those things and they pour millions of dollars into the product, right? They should spend more, but they pour, you know, they pour a lot of money, but you don't understand how like the how hard of a grind it is in baseball, in sports in general, until you work in like a minor league or summer league type deal where you just see all these people who work for basically nothing and like, but they do it because they love it and they're working really hard, long hours and stuff. And you see all the behind the scenes stuff that doesn't really change as you move up. You know, business deals have to happen, sponsorships and stuff like that. Looking for people to you know, donate to certain things, sponsor certain things. And it gives you a really good perspective about baseball, like how hard it is and how hard it is to get to that point. Like, I don't, I think, you know, part of the conversation around baseball is always like people blame the front office or the executive for not spending more. And it's like, trust me, as someone who has met these people, if it were up to them, they would spend as much as they possibly could. Why wouldn't they? It's not their money. Like, right, right. It's, to them, it's just like, who cares? Like, I, you know, if you ask, uh let's let's say uh what's his name rick Hahn, right if you ask rick Hahn to you know if could should the white Sox have a 230 million dollar payroll his answer is going to be yeah of course like <laughs> he wants that he wants to spend that much money but then he'll always follow it up with but that's never gonna happen and that's not his fault but, right right like that's not his fault he wants to spend money he just can't or knows because, because or the knows. boss won't let him Right. So that and we're, we're, we saw that more this past offseason because of COVID and owners were pinching, you know, their wallets a little bit more, even oh, though yeah. they re- could have spent as much as ever would have been fine. You know, they're going to see record revenues again this year. But yeah, uh, and you see you see that some of these stories like there was a story that came out just a few weeks ago uh, about the Bowie Bay Sox, which is the double A affiliate. Yeah, uh, that's, I mean, that's just yeah you saw that where like they were. Guys are going to have to start sleeping in their cars because the team wasn't going to pay for a hotel. And there were some players that were saying, like, the cost of a hotel and all of that is based on what I get paid per game. I'm actually going to lose money. Like, just things like that. And I don't know. Maybe you can answer this question because I actually don't know a whole lot about this. 
there was when that came out, I was sitting there like, don't they have um, host families? But I had heard something like host families were they're not suspended. a thing this year. Yeah. They're not a yeah. thing this year. Is it is that a COVID thing? It's a COVID thing. Normally, COVID host thing. families are a thing, and they just like try to get host families. I think some teams still tried to do it, but then Major League Baseball, because they, you know, they now own minor league baseball, which is an yeah. issue in and of itself, if you ask <laughs> me. But uh, they basically were like, no, that's a bad idea. Like, because we, we can't guarantee that the family is going to be vaccinated and stuff like that. And like, we can't require host families to be vaccinated, which, by the way, like the whole require or not require vaccination thing. I don't know about the like the legitimacy of the legal arguments and stuff like that, but just like people saying it's an individual choice really upsets me because it's not. It's not an individual choice. An individual it's a societal choice. choice. Oh, to get vaccinated? Oh yeah. man, we could uh, <laughs> we could launch into a real fun little podcast <laughs> here, which because you, you're you're looking Danger at somebody crossover. who is a yeah who's a healthcare journalist. <laughs> oh, and yeah. so I have like written a whole lot about. I've gotten into some like almost fights with people i had uh oh my god i had this one like discussion with my sister-in-law's boyfriend who is like this he's one of those he's one of those people who uh likes who just kind of like enjoys being a dick because he likes the confrontation oh Um, trevor bauer (laughs) yeah actually you know what yeah (laughs) Uh, yeah kind of um and uh It's funny you mentioned Bauer tonight. Um, yeah, I know. But anyways, so so we were we were talking about something. We were talking about like you know uh, the mask uh, mandate had just been lifted in Maryland. We were talking about that. We were talking about the vaccines, and he just looks at me and he was like very drunk at this point, uh, and he just goes, "You know, vaccinated people are just as likely to get COVID as unvaccinated people." And I'm just like, "No, no, no, it's just not true." and I know. And so in my brain, I'm like, "Come on." I, in my head, I'm like, we're doing this. Because this is this uh, is a party. Like this is a this is a graduation party for my sister in law. And there's people, many people that I don't know. And I'm like, you know what? Screw it. We're doing it. We're doing this. I don't usually like to like like verbally fight with people, but I was like, no, I I can't. I have to. So I start talking to them. And then one of my uh, wife's friends looks at me and like just is like, so this weather we're having, right? Like just <laughs> yeah. uh, totally distracts us from the conversation and prevents it. But I was just like, I was about to go scorched earth and be like, we're going to have a fight in this backyard patio. We're going to do this. Aren't we it's so just... happy that family <laughs> gatherings are a thing again? With <laughs> yeah, <Right>. well, <laughs> um, but no, I there's there's a, a lot to unpack and what you just said and i agree with just about everything um yeah i so i actually would like to i i kind of want to mine a little bit deeper into you were talking about how um mlb owns the minor leagues and why and how you believe that's a problem i would love to hear more on that like why why do you think that is an issue well as as we all know like the owners like they don't want to pay players right more specifically, they don't even want to play minor league players, and they those people make yeah. at the at the lowest amount, like two hundred and fifty dollars a week, which is oh yeah, they nothing. make poverty level wages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's nothing. So now, but the, before the difference was like they didn't own the minor league baseball system, right? They didn't own those teams per se. They were just affiliates and whatnot. So they didn't have as much control over the day to day operations and or the 
you know, salaries of certain things or the costs of certain things that they they now have. And now that they have that control, they can just slash so much, you know, all these costs and everything. And what what's the biggest cost? We just saw it this past offseason. Biggest cost is always labor, right? That's always the biggest cost. I'm an economics major, or I have an economics degree, I should say. Well, that doesn't take an economics degree to say that. Like, usually the more people you have, especially in sports industry, you're going to have thousands upon thousands of people playing. That if you want to cut costs quickly, you just limit the number of employees that you have, right? And so they did that. And the problem with that, in my opinion, is that you have now taken away baseball from communities, you know, just this from a communal aspect, in my opinion, that I have two issues with it. The first is a communal aspect of that. You've taken away baseball from communities that no longer have access. You know, let's say, I think the Lexington team is still there in Kentucky, but let's say that team got cut right now. It's like several hours away to go see baseball for people who live in that town. That stinks. And that's hard to grow the game that way. And, we talk a lot about how baseball has a problem with marketing its players, growing the game, you know, appealing. And a lot of that is because they don't advertise to people of color and African Americans in the way that they should. Like the and this only hurts that because yeah, they're now limiting the communities that can see the game. And it's such a cheap way to see baseball, right? That if you are in a and that sucks. How can we grow the game if we're just being like, well, we only want like wealthy people to watch it or we want a certain group of people to watch it and baseball has a very much a problem with that and whether they want to admit it or not i feel like they do admit that they have a problem with race i I feel like they at least acknowledge that it is an issue but they don't go about it they 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 try they try their best to have like you know rbi programs and like you know they did better this year of like advertising black history month and advertising black players in baseball history better not great not great still not good right. but better right so at least it's like they seem to think that it's an issue and at least trying it's still not good but i think it's there so that's my first problem is just like they've taken away from baseball from all these communities and they don't realize that the people they need to be getting it to are the people who are going to be disinterested because you're taking it away from it you know away away from them right um my second issue is from a team perspective, if you are a team, limiting the number of prospects you have. You know, I, I understand that like a lot of minor leaguers, they don't they don't pan out, right? Like they never see the big leagues and right now I, I get that. But you never know what happens. And all of a sudden, if like you just like, all right, we're taking away an entire team, you're you know, 26 guys, 28 guys, however many it is on a minor league roster, I can't remember right now. Um they're just gone. I believe it's 26. Yeah. Cool. Then they're just gone from you like that. That sucks for those players. First of all, you have to make really tough decisions because the, mm. the difference between those 26 and then like the 26 above them, probably not much. Like yeah. very, very minuscule. So you have to make some really tough calls. And that's not fair because you didn't want to make those calls. They were forced upon you. And that's because Major League Baseball now owns minor league baseball. And they're basically just telling you like, hey, we're cutting costs. You got to do this. Sorry. Yeah. And you got to make those phone calls. And as someone who was on the receiving end of the phone call about their affiliate getting cut and then thus not being brought back, I understand what it's like. And I remember how awful it you know, felt of just like, you know, like 
it wasn't even your fault, which was the part that sucked the most, I think, for me. And I th- I'm sure people, the minor league players themselves felt that way, too, is that, you know, they didn't do anything right. Like it was just taken away from them by something out of their control. And that's why it sucks from a team perspective of like you just had to cut all these guys for something that they, you know, they didn't even do anything wrong. Yeah, sure. They could have played better. But how many of them were just like just young or how many of them? were recovering from injuries and stuff like that. How many of them were just the guys that just like, okay, this just makes the most sense, you know, financially speaking. And that sucks. Like we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be making these decisions because the owners want to save more money. And that's, that's why them owning minor league baseball is bad. Cause it's all about just saving money yeah. with everything they do. Yeah. You, you mentioned something that I, I loved the, the, the first point about, minor league baseball being a really good way to grow the game. It's something I I just kind of thought about this, you know, when you're a kid, one of the, the, and so I should, let me rewind a little bit as a parent. The first game I'm going to take my youngest kid to is a minor league game in part, because I want to see, I have a five-year-old. I want to see how he does at a baseball game and I'm not blowing, you know, a hundred bucks to go to an Orioles game and park in Baltimore and all of that stuff just for him to be like, I want to go home at the third inning, and then I go home. So we're going to go to a Bay Sox game. The Bay Sox are 15 minutes away from me. It's super cheap to get in, and, you know, if we have to leave in the fourth inning, whatever, no big deal. But we can kind of do those things. We can do them more frequently than we could do uh, an Orioles game. And so as a kid growing up, like, even if you're not interested in baseball, you're not going to remember. I don't remember the Bay Sox games that I saw, and I and I'm focusing on the Bay Sox because I grew up ten minutes away from them. But I don't remember the Bay Sox games that I saw as a kid specifically. But I remember how they felt. I remember that it was a fun thing that I did with my family. I remember we would go. They have this fireworks show. We would always watch the fireworks, and I remember I would get ice cream, or I would go. They have like a little kids area with a merry-go-round, and I would do that. And there are a whole lot of positive feelings associated with it that you then associate with baseball. And so that is a huge part in making baseball something that when you grow up, you're like, Oh, I have a really strong, like I love baseball because, you know, one of the things we always ask our guests and we will ask you in a little bit is, you know, why do, why do you love baseball? And almost every single person on this podcast has said, Oh, well, I watched a lot as a kid. I went to games as a kid. It's this bond I have with my mom or with my dad or just whatever. It's a familial bond. It's tied to me as a person. And a huge way to do that is through the minor leagues because it's a it's a great way to just have a cheap experience involving baseball. And you're right. I think when you take that away, you're taking away the potential of somebody having those experiences. It doesn't matter how good or bad the team is. It's just just being there and having that time of being at a baseball game. I think we would all agree that MLB games definitely need to be cheaper. Um, yeah, but 100%. Absent, absent that, uh, going to minor league games is the is the nice alternative, and and it's fun. So yeah, I could yeah. couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, accessibility is just the name of the game at all levels Absolutely. at the end of the day. It doesn't matter if it's the minors or the majors or college or the summer leagues or whatever. I mean, I've talked about this repeatedly on this show, how like I'm here in this in this spot and doing all this baseball stuff. I love baseball so much because 
growing up in Chicago. I'm right now, as we speak, a I timed it two weeks ago and I went to the game. I was 11 minutes out the door to getting my ticket scanned, like at guaranteed rate field. It was, it was nuts. I drove a little bit too fast too, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, that's her thing. And like, I can use the logic. Like I get to all these games cause I think to myself, well, you know, if I'm not working on any given night and I'm just going to be sitting, sitting on my boat, watching the game at home anyway, I might as well pay $15 because they're the white Sox and they're still not super expensive. Fortunately, I can pay $15, drive 15 minutes and go down and see it myself. And that's why I grew part of why I grew to love baseball so much. And it's not just that though. It's that baseball, like the ethos of the sport and how it works as an institution. It's not something that's supposed to be a special occasion event. It's going on. It's not like, you know, basketball, hockey, where you have 41 home game or 40 home games instead of, or instead of 81. I think, I think football is like, the best example. Yeah. yeah your football is it. Exactly. You're, you're just never going to have the kind of exclusivity yeah. about a baseball game that you do about other sports. It's something that's always going on. It's supposed to be a constant. They're supposed to be happening it's, all the it's time. A community. I guess it's supposed to be a thing where it's like, yeah, it's there and it doesn't matter if I go walk in in the second inning and go out in the seventh. Cause it wasn't very much and it didn't take very much time and it was fun, you know, and I can do that 81 times a year. I can do that for a full, almost half of the year. And it's just there all the time. And I think that's how you really integrate baseball into communities, no matter of what character they are and what part of the country they are. And MLB is, proven that they they don't care about just that. they just don't care about that no it's uh it's right just, you know short study money short-sighted money grubbing they me. think they think the problem is people are upset about how long the games are instead which is which is hilarious to me i i think i've said it before here the fact that you would spend family of four is going to spend you know 200 bucks to go to a, a right. bad team like, and then sit there and go all right let's hurry this up i gotta get home like, but it's also no. like you make it cheaper and you make it easier to get to. It doesn't matter how long they are because people yeah. aren't going to be stressing over it, you know? Yeah. It, it you, literally, yeah. I've been, I have hardly been on time to a single game I've been to this year. And I've, because like, it's like, I'm like, all right, whatever. I'm here all the time. It doesn't, I don't have this urgency to like get there and hustle in and get my hot dog and beer and get in my seat for first pitch and all that stuff. And I don't know. It's a much more, I find it just to be a more enjoyable experience that way. But um, yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. I mean, accessibility. I, I I come back to like three three words that uh, matter to me in terms of baseball: accessibility, um, accountability, and then representation. Those are like my big three issues of baseball. And the first is ac- about accessibility is what you guys said. Like the games need to be cheaper. There's no reason for a day game that's at one o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon or a Saturday even to be seventy five dollars a seat. Like and not even for like great seats they're good seats but not great seats like that's just it's just dumb right like you don't you don't need to you know it doesn't need to cost that much a family of four should not be spending almost three hundred dollars on tickets to a game it just doesn't make sense you don't need to do that let alone parking and food and all of that exactly they're going to drop five hundred dollars on a game oh my god yeah you go to camden yards and you i went there just a week ago uh, and you get burger and fries is 15 bucks and it's just a crummy little burger that's mm-hmm. thrown on a grill and you get a few, you get some fries with it, which are fine, but it's like, yeah, 15, 20 bucks to get that. And it's like, and they say no outside food or beverages. So yep. you either have to eat before the game or you're stuck there. 
and that didn't always that wasn't always the case right. either. That was something that was something that uh, Jerry Reinsdorf helped revolutionize actually when he <laughs> built New Comiskey Park in the early nineties, as well as the United yeah. Centers. Um, it was very much they they got when these ballparks were built starting in the late eighties. They got local city councils to pass no peddling ordinances, so it was illegal to sell things, sell food and sell anything outside of the ballparks. They wouldn't let you bring anything in, which wasn't the case for 70-something years. They forced you to buy everything inside the ballpark, and then they hiked prices up. It's a very, it's a conscious decision. It was something where they knew exactly what they were doing. And for someone like Max, I don't know how how old you are exactly, but I was born in 95, and this is something that like I've spent my entire life with, and it was kind of yep. jarring for me to realize like it didn't always used to be that way. And in fact, for most of the history yeah. of baseball and, you know, it wasn't like professional that. sports. It wasn't like that at all. Yep. Oh yeah. I have, I have plenty of, or the Orioles were a little delayed on doing that, but I have plenty of memories of going to an Orioles game and, and getting subway on the way and bringing subs to the right. game and then sitting down in our seats and eating subs while we watched the game. And it wasn't a problem. And they used to, I mean, up until literally this past this season or the, up until last season, really, they allowed people to sell stuff right outside the stadium. There were all yep. kinds of people who were, you know, cheaper inside than out. And we would, you know, I'd buy stuff. I bought a one time I bought a bottle of water from someone outside the stadium and the seal was broken. And I think it was tap water, but you know, whatever it happens. <laughs> <laughs> but they, yeah, they, and then now they don't have that and you have to buy stuff inside the park. And so you're, you're paying absurd prices and it makes it so expensive to go to a game that like, you know, if I wanted to take my whole family to a game, I'd go to two or three a year, maybe. Because yep. you, you like can't afford that, it. it just, right. And that's, and that's just not a way, that's not a feasible way to go to the game. And it sends a message to fans that it's more important for us to get your money than for you to love the game. Yep. And it's just, it's just the wrong message because fans know, like we all know we're being ripped off. Like no one's walking they, into a ball game. It. We just right, well. It. Well, true. There's kind of this weird acceptance in general that we have of like, we all know that like it costs, you know, 10 cents for Coca-Cola to make, you know, a 20 ounce bottle of Coke. And then they sell it to us for like two fifty, And we're just like, yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like we just, we kind of generally as a society have that strange acceptance. where like, we know we're being ripped off and like, yeah, yeah it's kind of yeah. part of it. But 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 well, <laughs> then it gets to such an extreme at like ball games. Like nobody's getting that burger and fries at Camden Yards for twenty bucks and be like, "This is a good burger and fries. This is twenty dollars." <laughs> no, you're just like, "Well, I have to do it." Um, <laughs> owners and sports organizations take advantage of the fact that capitalism has conditioned us to need sports as entertainment and catharsis. <laughs> so we want to enjoy our sports, and you know what? If we have to pay. 200% of what it's worth to do it, we're going to do it because uh, what other outlets to enjoy ourselves do we have? We love sports. We got to go see them sometimes. Yep. Well, and, and they Max, know this. Max, they you, know I'm, this sure, well. I'm sure, I wonder how much you were aware when you're with the Nats of the Masson dispute. Between, yeah. So yeah. I wasn't, they, you know, I didn't interact with the business people like sure. at all when I was there because they're just, you know, that's just an entirely different department, <laughs> which is so funny, by the way. I love why this is just a quick tidbit. When people reply on Twitter to the social media team, like, play better. Why are you losing all the time? Blah, blah, blah. I'm sure Slick. the social media team is just like sending those tweets to Mike Rizzo and being like, <laughs> hey, Mike, uh, Dan 12. From VA here wants you to know that uh, you're a bum 
and you should get a different job and the Nats are going nowhere. Oh, I've been fired? Okay, thank you. Well, that's that's <laughs> like the uh, – I had a friend who worked in a, in a member of Congress's office, uh, uh, Representative Steny Hoyer's office, and he fielded calls. And they would get people who were just like, Representative Hoyer needs to do – or like just – and he would just sit there and listen oh, to people no. who would try and tell their congressman what to do. And he had to log them all. And he was just oh. like, all right, we'll be sure to get that to, you know, and the only way that that Steny Hoyer ever got any of those messages is if like everyone was calling in about it. Then they might say like, OK, we're getting a ton of calls about this one thing from your constituents. Maybe you should do. Right? But mm-hmm. right. But but uh, generally speaking, if you called Steny Hoyer, you call any member of Congress's office and you have you're like the one person who's just like. There's a pothole in my road that needs, you know, Stop. you're gonna. It's falling on deaf ears, or <laughs> they yeah, don't care. complete. You're talking to <laughs> oh, a no. college kid who wants nothing to do with it, and I, it's the same thing with sports, social media. But anyway, so the yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, briefly, the Orioles Nats have been disputing over the TV rights to their baseball ga- to uh, Mid Atlantic Sports Network, which is the uh, local television station for Orioles and Nats games. They've been fighting over the TV rights for a decade, over a decade at this point. Yeah, long time. Oh yeah, and it's it's just another example of uh, uh, just billionaires being cheap. Yeah, <laughs> I not- remember in the off season, the uh, Brittany Gorley was basically like, so according to this report here, it's like the Nationals are paying their part and are frustrated that the Orioles aren't. And I feel I was like, I feel like that's a like little little vague and a little like just nonchalant maybe a little nationals catering there and it definitely was like it's, it's just like you know it's much more complicated than that but it, it just came down to the fact that it looked like both teams were just like we want our own sports networks why do we have to share this is so yep. dumb yep. i'm gonna argue about this and it's like listen not everybody can get their own network not everybody can create you know, the Dodgers, you know, Sportsnet LA, not everybody can create the Yes Network, right? Like it's, if you want to do that stuff, you're going to have to invest money into it. And then yeah. you tell them that and they're just like, no, I'm, I'm not going to spend money. <laughs> Wait yeah. a second. What, what are you doing? I thought well, I could. Even in big markets, it's not even a guarantee. Like I'm not yeah. sure what the logistics or what the, what the numbers are exactly. But my, my impression is that Marquee is not going super well for, for the Cubs and the Rickets right now. It hasn't oh, really? worked out the way they thought it would. No, it is not. And that's as big of a fan. That's as big as a na- like national fan base, pretty much as you're going to get this side of the Yankees, I would imagine. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's lots of interesting questions. It's it's tough. You know, you know, and TV networks are, are t- it's a whole different topic. It's super difficult to explain of like how important they have actually become because attendance at games is relatively fluky, especially right now. So watching the game has become so much more important. And we've got so much better camera angles and, you know, just good cameras now that like watching the game at home, you know, sometimes could be a hypothetically better experience for the casual fan than going to a game. Oh, if I, if I want to like really watch a game, I want to watch it on TV. Like if I, if I, if there's a pitcher, pitching and i'm like oh i want to see this guy pitch i don't want to go to the game and watch no because i can't see it i can't see it yeah yeah yeah. i want to if i really that's the brilliant thing about these white Sox games though i will say i've been to a lot of different ballparks and guaranteed rate field might have the most most lax ushers in the league it's (laughs) it's 
it's really and not not just that no it's i mean look you go to enough games and you cultivate a few relationships and you know you never sit in the 500s again and you can get up close then it's amazing but you know i that's 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 a privilege that you know is is not accessible to most even is probably realistically not going to be accessible to most even as accessible as we want to to make the game so uh no i think i think those are all very very pertinent points yeah that's Um, why tv networks are so important is like showing off and that's also again another shoe is like how you grow the game is the tv networks are actually vital to that like they're Mm -hmm. important if you how how important was it that the dodgers invested all that money that they did in sportsnet la because they felt that if they were the brand of la baseball and la sports right they were the they were the thing that had like their own network and everything like that that would help draw fans that would help bring a better product and yeah it helped that you had vin scully and then you transitioned from vin scully to joe davis so when you watch the game you're not you know wondering why your ears are bleeding all the time so that certainly helps no offense i think the other part about tv is like some of the broadcast crews are just awful like I'm yeah sorry. we They're- we talked a good bit about broadcasting our last like a lot about broadcast because connor is a broadcaster, yeah, broadcaster. It's and just- uh yeah they're definitely the nats especially oh, uh have an awful broadcasting oh, team we've, dude, we've talked so about bad. them we've talked about them quite a bit <laughs> this show is the official slanderer of fp santangelo yes oh, they, he not only is he a bad broadcaster, he's just he's a, a horrible person yeah, a horrible so, bad yeah. so glad that he's and we were on it before anything broke so that's right we <laughs> marylanders hated fp that, santangelo dude. before it was cool to hate fp santangelo <laughs> also Fair. as a as a side note look if you're gonna go by your first two initials, they better be something that flows better than FP. <laughs> <laughs> like that's fair. FP's weird. Like I don't FP's, know what it stands like, for. Like there was like there was a guy I knew who went by CX. His first and his first and middle name was C and X. Uh, I don't know what his full name was, but his name was CX Kennedy, and I'm like, that's a cool ass name. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's got to have a ring to it. It's got to have a ring. Right. To yeah, it. like if right. you're gonna go initials, it's like CC Sabathia, for example, has C-C. a yeah, fantastic ring to it. Absolutely, or yeah, just like, anything like that. FP yeah. Santangelo sounds like it should be like wearing a bowler cap and discriminating in people it, in 1945 just, in the press box. You know, there's, it's not there's a, good image. a whole there's a whole lot of stumbling that your mouth does when you try and say FP Santangelo. It feels like you're falling down the stairs. <laughs> and you um, wonder why you're saying it and just being like, ah, yeah, I'm just talking about FP Santangelo. Nah, he's a terrible person. Speaking <laughs> speaking of the Nats, before we move on to like talking about baseball more broadly, I do want to talk about your time with the Nats. Um, how did you end up working with the Nats? What did you do with them? Uh, all of that. Uh, after the Potters and everything, I went to Sports Info Solutions and I worked there. And they're the company. So if you're an analytical baseball fan, you've probably heard of them because they're the company that calculates defensive runs saved. They do a lot of great work on defense and just like interesting statistics and statistics. Work. Correct me if I'm wrong. Aren't they the ones who uh, calculate hard hit rate? The one that's on um, fan graphs as well. Correct. So they supply yeah. fan graphs with most of its batted ball data and everything yeah. like that, too. Um, so they're, they were basically Savant before Savant. That's sort of the way they were StatCast before StatCast. 
And like they still use StatCast data. They check StatCast data with their own. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I am going to say that. I don't I feel like that's fine. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to listen. Don't worry. Quality yeah. control, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's what I mean. You use spotters. You kind of, yeah, it's good exactly. Tool. But they're, they were a great company. They were, you know, they gave me a lot of skills. They really enhanced my knowledge of sabermetrics. Uh, Mark Simon over there, who I, if you are not following on Twitter, is a really fun follow. So Mark Simon, I just want to say Mark Simon had one of the clever, when he was with ESPN, he had one of the cleverest Twitter handles. His Twitter handle was M Simon ESPN. But if you read it differently, differently, it also read MS I'm on ESPN. Ooh, that's good. Just totally unintentional, I'm assuming, because I'm, you know, assume with ESPN, he just had M Simon ESPN. Yes. But the fact that it also read MS I'm on ESPN was that's just. Good. Perfect. That's so good. That's so just, good. Yeah. But yeah, no, Mark Simon, fantastic. Wonderful guy. Wonderful Love human him. being. Yeah, seriously, just a great guy. He really helped out a lot. But then after Sports Info Solutions, I was like, you know, I think I'm I'm ready to take the jump to try and work in Major League Baseball. Uh, I was applying for basically video internships with minor league teams, which is basically you set up cameras and then you score the game and film the game so that we get all the angles and everything. So that way front office can look at, you know, and the coaches can look at film from games, try and dissect it just like major league hitters do, except, you know, the ones at major league ballparks are set up on their own. You have to set these up. Uh, it's, it's a really fun job, but it's like, you got to go to every game. It's very hands-on like, you know, work long hours and stuff like that. And that can be, uh, not the best for everybody you know it's not not necessarily like if you gotta really love baseball to do it like really really love love the game and i do um so that i'll walk through how i got the job i applied to it and then i got an email from who would then become my boss and he's like can you talk at 10 a.m eastern time which is seven o'clock my time uh maybe it was 6 a.m i don't remember but it was early it was early in the morning and so I, like i woke up like 10 minutes beforehand and he calls me and he can tell that like i'm still kind of waking up a little bit and he's just like thanks for talking to me so early in the morning over there i was like yeah it's so good he's just like yeah i'm sorry but it's all good so then we had a, <laughs> we had a good conversation then about a week later i would talk to then somebody who would become like another boss of mine and then somebody else who worked in the organization and you know, this was just after they won the World Series, like literally days after the one they won the World Series, they interviewed me. And I remember the end of the interview, they were like, name the last time you were wrong. And I was like, about anything or in baseball? And they were like, it's preferred if baseball, but like if, about anything is fine too. And I, I, I laughed and I was like, I didn't pick you to win the World Series. And they just started <laughs> laughing and they're like, that's fair. Like we that don't, I don't blame you answer. for that. And I said, let me, let me be honest and say that I'm very glad I was wrong. But they were like, honestly, we appreciate the honesty in letting us know that you didn't pick us. And I was like, yeah, I mean, like, in my defense, how many people did? Also, nobody. World Series went totally bizarre. The home team didn't win in that series. That has literally never happened. Yeah. Never. Yeah. So I felt pretty justified in my answer. Yeah. Um, Then the winter meetings roll around and my boss wasn't going to be there. So I met up with some other people and this is my third interview with them. Most of my friends who had got jobs at video departments, it was one interview or two interviews and then they got the job. So this is my third. Um, And I was like, okay, they still interviewing me for the same job. We'll we'll see. But we had like the interview at the winter meetings was great. First of all, if you've never been to the winter meetings, 
don't go as a fan like you'll see some people but like it's relatively boring as a fan like it's just a bunch of that's people what i've heard yeah it, it's just a bunch of journalists and executives and people like me walking around talking to each other about baseball sure but it's like yeah industry stuff it's not really that interesting as a fan you might run into like the occasional player i think the one the year i went joe musgrove was there because it was in san diego and that's where he's from and everything so cool I mean, now it's cool because Joe Musgrove is good, but like at the time, like Joe Musgrove wasn't the, you know, this great pitcher that he is now. He was like somebody right. who people were like, that guy could be pretty good one day, um, and he is pretty good one day. Um, oh yeah, God, it is. For it years, is one day, for yes. years, he was like, he was like, everyone's like, one of these days, one of these, one of these days. I literally watched Andrew Heaney pitch today, and I literally said, I was like, one of these days, man. One of these, dude. There, there are like a handful of players where you're just like, they've got the stuff. It just something needs to click, and yep. sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Uh, for me, like Trevor Richards was one of those guys where I was like, he's got the stuff. It just there's like one or two things that need to be tweaked, and just man, does, he could be good. Happen. And it just it hasn't because he's got a crappy fastball, but he's got yep. a, just a magical changeup. But but yes. anyways, yes, so, continue. Yeah. So I after the winter meetings are over, uh, my girlfriend who I've now I, on July 10th we will have been together for two years. Uh, she came to California Congrats. for the first time to visit. Yeah, thank you. Uh, she came to California for the first time to visit, and I had to take her to Disneyland because she had never been there before, and she likes Disney and she likes theme parks. And so I'm on my way to Disneyland. I haven't. It's been like a week and a half at this point since I've heard from them, like at all. And I'm like, I'm getting kind of nervous now. I'm like, oh man, I went through three interviews. I'm really invested. Like, I'm super invested into this. I really wanted the job with the Nats. They were great people. I really liked working with them um or talking to them working with them now but uh i'm on my way to disneyland and i see an email pop up from who would be my boss and i'm thinking to myself wouldn't it just be the worst if i don't get the job and they let me know <laughs> you're in while the I'm happiest, disneyland or you're something. In the happiest place, the happiest in the country place on, earth. <laughs> on earth and i'm, and I'm get the yeah. worst news <laughs> i was like i was like wouldn't that be awful so i see the email and like my heart just starts <laughs> pounding while i'm driving just like pounding and i tell my girlfriend i was like you gotta open you gotta open the message like you gotta let me know what it says i can't i can't do this like i need to know and she like pulls up the email and like i see the Clance and it starts with sorry and i'm like oh god no he's like sorry we're still in the middle of our process it's taking a little longer uh you're still in contention and everything and i'm just like why would you start it with sorry <laughs> i was like i would have sorry sorry guys you got the job <laughs> um, so then we go to disneyland and at this point it, it, it's been like three or four weeks at this point since i've you know like heard from them about the job and i let them know like my old job at sis said i had until the new year to let them know if i was coming back and at this point it's like december 26th december 27th it's like a couple days after christmas and a couple of days before the new year. And so I email the guy and I email my boss and I say like, I have to let him know by January 1st. And they're like, okay, sounds good. Uh, the assistant GM, Mark Shalaba is going to give you a call either today or tomorrow. And I'm like, do you, do you what? The assistant GM <laughs> at this one, I'm, I'm legitimately thinking like, am I still getting interviewed for the same job? Like this is minor league video intern is like lowest of the low in a yeah. front office. Like you are, you are the runt of the litter kind of deal. Like, and it's not that your work's not valuable. It's just like, there's other more important positions to do yeah. that formulate yeah, yeah, yeah. a baseball team. Right. Um, 
And so I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like, why do I have to get interviewed by the assistant GM? So now I'm like sweating bullets again. I'm like the assistant GM, like Jesus Christ, like this is intense. <laughs> uh, and th- at the time that was the highest ranking executive I had ever met in my life was the assistant GM. And he calls me like 20 minutes later and we talk for about 15, 20 minutes. And he seems like he's, he ends it with like, seems like you're doing everything right. And you seem like a great guy. We'll be in touch. And I was like, okay. So that went well, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, so at then, this point, you've talked, you've had, this is basically fourth, your fourth interview. Fourth fourth interview with them. For, Again. for what is the lowest of the low job. <laughs> yeah, for the lowest of the low job, which tells you that the Nationals take it seriously, which is good. Yeah, like at yeah. that time, it's like, you know, that they care. Uh, but it was, I was also like super intimidated. Yeah. And then the next day they, they called me and they're like, yeah, uh, you got the job. And I was like, bah super great uh i nearly cried because i was so happy and it was like such a long process too i yeah, mean it was like yeah. two, two months at that point of like my time and if i hadn't gotten it i was so screwed because like i had invested all my chips into the nets because <laughs> after the third one i was so confident i felt so good it was such a good conversation um and then about two or three months later i went out to spring training um i was training there doing all the stuff working with reps auto tech edutronic cameras blast motion technology a bunch of tech and filming practice games, sim games. And then, you know, the world as we now know it, you know, Rudy Gobert gets tests positive for COVID. And after touching on the microphone, that's still to me. <laughs> one of the greatest and horriblest moments I've oh ever seen God. in my life. I know. In sports. It's just the surreality, man. The surreality. It's, but if he doesn't test positive. How much is like he legitimately probably saved lives by testing positive because it forced people <laughs> to pay attention. Right, it made right. people realize that this was serious. So and it made it made NBA shut down and, and then, then made uh, and then it kind of yeah, snowballed from there. Yeah. Playing the next day and spring yeah. next two days of the spring training were kind of like, hey, we're still doing this. Right. And I remember uh, on, yeah. on the Thursday I was supposed to I was only supposed to be at spring training for three weeks. And the news comes out on the Wednesday of the week that I'm leaving. And so the Thursday, the next day, they're like, we don't know what's going to happen. We can send you home or you can stay here and then just go out to your affiliate at some point. Right. I was like, well, I mean, my car is at home. Like, I still have to, like, drive there and everything like that. And they're like, we'll figure it out. So I opted to stay there, you know, stay there for as long as they would have need me. But then the next day we show up and we're being told we're all going to get sent home. And that was the last time that I ever saw any of my Nats coworkers face to face. Like that. I mean, and then from there it was, we didn't know when there was going to be a season or not, you know, minor league season was completely up in the air. And then in May, the Nats basically just, they called us and they're like this, listen, we don't want to do this. It's not our choice, but the nationals are cutting the internships, all of them. And one of my friends, he's the nationals baseball ops intern. I, when I created my uh, statistic, uh, K war, he was the guy I worked on it with and he got let go too. And he's a really fascinating man. He went to Harvard law school and everything, uh, and was a lawyer and then was just like, I'm tired of this and now I want to be in baseball. <laughs> so he got the nationals baseball ops internship. Um, and he's very smart, very nice guy. And he got let go too. And so then around January of this year or so, uh, they call me again and they're like, listen, this isn't fair. And as soon as I said that, I was like, oh, well, I know it's about to happen now. Uh, they're like, your affiliate was the one that got cut. Um, 
you also, I, you know, I live out in California. Their AAA team is now over in Rochester, right? So all of their affiliates are back on the East Coast. And they're like, listen, you live super far. Um, your affiliate was the one that got cut. It's not fair, but like, we don't really know what to do. And I said, I completely understand. I don't blame you guys. Uh, and I don't like, it's not their fault. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of happenstance. And I know that they were not against the minor league teams being cut because we had lengthy conversations about it. Um, and they're great people over there. I mean, if you're a Nationals fan, I want people to know that their front office like is filled with very fantastic people uh, and just some of the best people I've, I've met in baseball. They were all so kind to me and they wanted me to succeed. They were trying to give me tips to succeed because they were like, we've been there. We know what it's like. We know what it's like to be the runt of the litter per se and how hard it is. And you know, I don't want to like discourage anybody from working in baseball, but it's hard. It is really, really hard. You have to grind for it. You have to work for it. You've got to do all these things. And that's not for everybody. Like it takes a lot of really hard work. And they were so honest about it. They were so nice about it, giving me such encouraging tips. And, you know, now I'm, you know, I write for Pitcher List, obviously. And uh, I do some volunteer work at a baseball training facility. Um, volunteer work, sort of. Uh, and, you know, I get a fiddle with guys' pitches and what's not. You know, if they have a question about, oh, my changeup isn't moving like this. I want it to move like this. That's where I come in, you know, I fiddle with their changeups, their curveballs and stuff. Um, you know, and it's, it's a lot of fun and being in baseball, being around baseball is just, that's just something I want to do. I mean, I could have gone to grad school for economics. I guess at one point I took an, uh, my economics professor in college was just like, you should do grad school. You'd be really good at it. And I was like, I don't know about that. I don't know about good about at grad school, <laughs> how good anybody really is at grad school. But, uh, yeah. And so now, you know, nationals, you know, I, I could go back next year. It's not, you know, they didn't rule it out. They said like, you know, listen, we want you back. It's just a matter of fitting enough people and they won't let us keep on extra people. And I completely understand that. And that's fine. And, um, very grateful for the opportunity that they gave me. Uh, I'm hopeful that I get another one. I am also hopeful that anybody working in baseball gets a shot because it's, it's this is great. This is as much as MLB, as we discussed, bothers me with what they do. This is the best sport in the world to me. I love this game so, so much. So I would actually, before we, um, that sounds super cool. That sounds, honestly, it, you know, it, it really sucks that everything kind of got cut because of COVID. But that sounds like still, it was, sounds like it was a super cool experience. It was so much fun working yeah. with players and coaches and like filming all that stuff. And like, not to tell people but you got to know your stuff like you yeah. you, like, yeah. you really got to know your stuff they didn't they don't hire you because they're just to put it in perspective a thousand people applied for the job that i got they hired four like wow it's a tough tough industry the yankees hire most years like three new people to join their front office i think the year 2019 because they didn't do it last year they had about five thousand people apply and they hired mm. three it's That's a wild. tough tough industry so you really got to know what you're talking about and like it's sort of nice to like as i say oh, you're the runt of the litter but your voice is still important like they yeah. still value what you have to say and like if you get that job or if you want to work in that job know that even just because you lost it or something or something went wrong it doesn't mean that your voice wasn't important it's just 
they do value it. Like if you got to that point, you must know what you're talking about at least a little bit. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's super cool. Um, before we kind of talk about baseball more broadly, I do want you to talk a little bit about what you do now. So you mentioned that you work with players who want to tweak their pitches. Um, more specifically, as much as you can, I know a lot of times with these types of places where players are training and tweaking things, there's a whole lot that, you know, proprietary information you cannot say. And that's yes, totally fine. We're not here to get you in trouble. This is not a, like a gotcha podcast or anything, but uh, as much as you can, yes. <laughs> yes, not yet. We're working on becoming uh, the new TMZ for baseball. Uh, <laughs> but as much as you can, I- I'd love to hear a little bit about what you do. Um, do you get like, are you talking like you get major league players? Do you get like relative? I mean, is it like big name guys? Is it like just, you know, local, my- it's a minor league. Like who is coming and what are they doing? at your facility and how, how do you help them? Yeah. So, um, we, and do... what are all of the secrets? I <laughs> know everything that's <laughs> we, I joined with up with them about January, <laughs> February, right. When I found out I wasn't going back to the Nats. Um, and we do have some pro guys with us. Uh, Matt Manning, uh, he's from the Northern California area. He comes and throws with us in the off season. Um, and we'll have, I'm sure he'll have plenty that to work on in the off season with us. I'm sure <laughs> <say> he'll, so. <laughs> I'm sure he will want things to work on. Um, but you yeah, know, he's got a, he's got a fastball he needs to work on a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Going from one Oh one to 94. We were, we, every start that he has, if it's during the day. And I think he had, we had one that was during the day. We put it on the TV and like eight of us are just sitting there watching it, you know, <laughs> like, Hey, go Matt. Uh, it's so funny because I, so I wrote his uh, gift breakdown for picture list for his debut. And I was sitting there like, all right, cool. We're going to see this fireballer with some good breaking stuff. And I'm just watching this guy throwing like 94 at best. And I'm just like, yep. what is this? <laughs> and he's, and he's, well, he was spinning it at like 1900 RPMs too. And literally everyone, right. everyone we work with was just like, Oh, that that's not what he's normally at. Yeah. What happened? Um, yeah, yeah no, I, that's what I was wondering. I was wondering about the spin too, because I saw, I actually messaged um Andy Patton about it. Cause I was like, I feel like when I was, yeah, I was reading the scouting reports. I, I, I have him in a couple, I think an Otmo league or something like that. But um, so I just had like, I was vaguely on him. And all of the scouting reports are talking about this big, you know, high 90s fastball with like, you know, with good plane and ride. And I'm like, this has 1950 RPMs and doesn't move. And is it 90, yeah, so, sitting 92, 93? Like, I was really, yeah, really so confused. For perspective, for, for anyone listening who may not understand perspective, like 1900 RPMs for a fastball, that puts him in about it's the like third, third percentile. It's like bottom it's 10 almost. You know? it's, it's literally like 97% of MLB is spinning. And especially when you're throwing 94. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. like so just we, Sheffield territory. But we did have a kid. Uh, I don't want to reveal too much. He He's a high school kid. He just topped 90 for the first time on Monday. And he's he threw a fastball at 89 miles an hour that spun at 2556 RPMs, which is wow. That's, yeah, I literally I literally crazy. had to do a double take, and then I was like, well, maybe it was just a maybe it was just a fluke with the Rapsodo, right? He threw two more that were over 2500. The kid just spins the ball incredibly. That's well. why either he's got 
he must great. have massive yeah. hands or something. He did. He does have pretty big hands. Uh, and, I was going to say, that's, but that, like, if that was his going 90, that must have looked like 95 easily. Yeah. I mean, like every pitch, I was like, man, that looks so much faster. But he was he was throwing so hard, he was cutting the ball too much. Uh, but, you know, that's why part of my job is I get to explain to him, like, that's really amazing. Like, that's one of my favorite parts of the job is, like, when somebody does, mm. does something super unique or super weird or super cool, I can explain to them, like, that's dope. <laughs> like, that's really good. So you throwing, you know, you topping out at 90, but with a spin of 25-56 means that once you throw 93 to 95, and he can get yeah. there because he's still in high school and he's already throwing 90, so that's a good sign, uh, yeah. you're going to be ridiculously good your fastball is going to be dominant i mean you're gonna have an mlb level you have a if you throw a little bit harder you have an mlb level fastball now and that's the fun part of the job is like telling players the good things but i also like work on their mechanics we go through ply you know plyo drills and everything like that that i'm sure people have now uh, hopefully know more about thanks to kyle Bodie and driveline and all that stuff about what they do and everything um and so we do we do that stuff too but like every time somebody throws a bullpen, it's pretty much I'm sitting there and I'm like, they'll throw a curveball. I'm like, show me how you grip that. And like, we'll get a reading and I look at it and like make adjustments to their curveball if need be. Um, sometimes we just tell them to scrap a pitch if it just is like not good. Uh, you know, sometimes they'll be like, I throw a curveball on a slider. And it's like, no, you, you, you don't. But like you throw a curveball and then a less good curveball. Uh, <laughs> you throw a curveball and a bad curveball. Yeah, and then or a you know, slurve is a slurve. Oh, this, I, is a, this is a thing that Nick and I have where I, I, I like to tease him and say that a slurve is a separate pitch, and he's like, mm-hmm. "No, it's not. It's just a, it's a bad curveball." <laughs> uh, I'm gonna take Nick's side here. Anybody who throws a curveball or a slider, that's what happens. Is like they start to slurve one of them, and I'm just like, "Nope, nope, nope." We can't do that. We can't. We can't do that. Do you do you ever have someone come in and throw like a, a weird kind of old timey pitch? And no, you know, like you know, everyone talks about Home Brent Honey, Brent Honeywell throwing the screwball. Yeah, I shot. Who when was the last time someone threw a palm ball <laughs> or the uh, the fork ball? We haven't had someone throw a fork ball in a couple of years. We have. I tried to get this. He, this guy had pretty big hands, and I was like, "Have you ever tried a splitter or like a split change?" You know. Which I feel like is not a very common pitch, though it seems to become more popular. I feel like it's become years. a lot more popular recently. You get guys because I guys like Kevin Gosman, Kenta Maeda ha, uh, have had a lot of success with those split changes. Yeah, and but th- yeah. So I tried to be like, "Have you ever tried throwing it?" And they're like, "No." Uh, you know, I told them to like, you know, let's you know, grip the ball like this and like, just throw it. You know, if you want to snap your wrist a little bit there at the end to try and get more drop on it, you can. And then he throws like three and he spikes all of them like 45 feet. And I'm like, okay, maybe not. Yeah. I was like, I was like, man, he has such good hands though. Like it'd be perfect. He, he could throw a really good one, but we moved on from that. Unfortunately, I was so I was so disappointed because the head pitching coach, he was like agreed. He was like, yeah, actually, that would be like a really good pitch for you. And he just yeah. couldn't get it. And that that pitch, if you if you're able to, I mean, shoot, Kevin Gosman this entire year has like his entire all of his success has been because of his incredible split change. He throws like two pitches, a split yep. change and a fastball. <laughs> and, and it, it works. Can, it works. it works. It works. Kenta Maeda, same thing. I mean, uh, it, well, yeah. he's got a much deeper repertoire than Gosman, but like a lot of his success is because 
he he's got a great six and three and a third tonight. Wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> Gosman's already <laughs> given up three runs, so uh, but yeah, Gosman has been really good. Yeah, yeah he, he it's down three nothing, but he is playing the Dodgers, who are like you know a great right team. exactly. Um, uh, that's super fascinating, man. Yeah. I that I would love to just talk like the. One of one of these days, I'll have to get some some people on, and we'll just have to talk the intricacies of pitching, because so I find I find all of that so fascinating. Different, there's so so much I don't know. Just different different grips and different ways of throwing. It's it. One of the things I love about baseball is how it feels like you hear about guys saying like, "Oh, I learned this grip from this guy." It's like these like secrets that were you know. R.A. Dickey learned his knuckleball from a guy who learned it from Hoyt Wilhelm. And like, it just stuff like that. That's like getting passed down through the years. It just, it's, it's super cool. I think it's so much fun and just, it is. I neat. love, I love watching pitchers talk about it and they say like, Oh yeah. In the off season, like I'll get three different curveballs from a guy. If I'm trying to work on a curveball from three different pitchers and I just try to go with the grip that works the most. And it's yeah. sort of like you, it's just that process of like, you know, fail, you fail. And yeah. I think that's the, that I, I love the, I love fans that, that are always like, well, why is this guy struggling? Baseball is really hard. You fail so much, yes. so much. And the best part about it is that when you fail, you have another opportunity to not fail. You like, if you're a pitcher and you throw a bad pitch and it gets sent, guess what? Assuming it's the right time of the game. You get another opportunity to throw a good pitch right then, right there. You can go yeah. back and you can bounce back right then. That's the best part of this game is you can fail all as much as possible up until a point. Uh, right. And then you're given another shot. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> you know, if, you're, well, if you're failing a lot, if you're getting on base, you know. Max, you're like you're like a magician. Time. You're like a magician because this segues perfectly into the next question, the question that we ask everybody, because I have a feeling this is part of your answer. What is it about baseball that you love? What is it that makes it unique from other sports? There's so many other sports you could be a fan of, and you are. Why do you love baseball so much? I will answer it with two parts. The first part is it was the sport that I was the best at growing up, but it was also the sport that my dad was the most invested into growing up. Um, we would go to baseball games. We would watch baseball together. One of the best memories of my life is when, and I'm very grateful that when the Yankees won the 2009 world series, I remember my, and my dad's reactions to it. Like I remember watching it on the TV and like, I know Yankee fans are extremely spoiled. And as I said, they're, they're bad and they need to be corrected. Uh, but the, <laughs> I got to see a world series in my lifetime. Right. And then I got to go work for a team that won a world series literally the, the year prior. So I've had it really good per se as a fan, like really, really good. And I'm never going to complain about how my team does in baseball ever again, because I saw one world series. That's enough. There are people who went their entire lives, Cubs fans, Red Sox fans, you know, Orioles fans right now, Pirates. We fans, haven't right? had a World Series Rockies since 1983, fans. and I promise you, if if the world if the Orioles win a World Series, I will. I'm not an easy crier. I will cry. Yeah, I I will just be in tears, man. When the Cubs advance to the World Series, this guy I was walking by a restaurant, and this guy in full Cubs gear walks outside, and he's just like bawling, bawling. And I didn't blame him one bit. I yeah. didn't blame him oh my one God, bit yeah. because I knew how much it meant to him. Because it had been so long. 
So I got to watch a World Series win in my life, and that's enough for me. That that really is. I know that's not the perspective that most people have. I know especially it's not the perspective that Yankee fans have of like, we have to win every year. We're the Yankees. You're a fan. You don't do anything to impact the winning. They can think that if they're the players. You're a fan. You don't do anything. Stop. Um, but that was one of the best memories of my life is just watching the Yankees win the World Series in 2009 with my dad, like getting to celebrate that win with him. But the other thing is I just love pitching so much. I was a pitcher when I played. I loved fiddling with grips. I love fiddling with pitches. I love doing all that stuff. I love doing it now. I love watching the mechanics of different guys and just how in the end they all get to like, you know, their windup is all different. But in the end, that once that foot starts to come down towards home plate, you get that rotation in their hips. The you know the upper half stays behind, and then you see the arm come through, and all of a sudden there's a 98 mile an hour fastball right there, and it's just it's beautiful. It's like poetry in motion, and it's just one of the best things Poetic. I can ever watch is just watching a guy rear back and throw 100 miles an hour. Watching Jacob Degrom look like he's barely even trying. And then throw a 95 mile an hour slider, followed by a 93 mile an hour changeup, and then a 101 mile an hour fastball. I mean, it just it doesn't get better than that. Watching Clayton Kershaw flip that curveball over oh, the plate for all these years dude, has you been are, beautiful. You are and then watching my Max language, Scherzer man. get so angry on the mound <laughs> that he starts cursing at himself or at the opposing players, yeah. and then strikes somebody out, and then just looks down on the ground and walks off like a madman is some of the best parts about baseball of my Dude, life. And it's I am just like, so much fun. Mentally, I am just doing spins and kicking in the air because <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more, especially I have said many times before, I think pitching is good. Pitching is the purest form of art in sport. It is just, it is, there are definitely moments where I think uh, sport and art uh, crossover. I think absolutely. I think there are moments in every sport. I think a uh, a beautiful alley oop in basketball, or one of those like uh, you know crazy layup or something, and real smooth, or just or even Spin again in basketball move into the layup. Yeah. Oh, or again in basketball, a perfect swish. Those are those are art to me in a way. And in football, a perfectly aimed hail mary, you know, deep pass that goes right into the hands. Just that is beautiful. Mm-hmm. But to me, pitching. It's just so beautiful. It's just gorgeous it's to watch. Just when, when a guy, and you know, that's why I always say is like when somebody executes a pitch so well, it, there's nothing better in baseball. Like when some, when oh, you yeah. see that catcher put down that, you know, that curveball sign and he wants it down and he throws it perfectly and he gets that swing and miss. It, it just, it doesn't get better than that. Or it throws, you know, a slider that just dots the corner. Yep. And it's just like a backdoor slider that just comes in and boo, right on the low corner and just perfect. The other release. day I was watching a game and Jonathan Lewisga threw a changeup that was just like so perfectly dotted on the lower half of the zone and got the swing and miss. And the back of my head, I'm just like, how? How does how does he do that? Right? Like, and I wonder that all the time about pitchers. It's just like that's the part that gets me is like I tried to do it and didn't do it very successfully. Uh, and so I just wonder, it seems like the most impossible thing is throwing that pitch so perfectly. And then what seems even more impossible and yet somehow happens is making contact, hitting the ball. Right. Yeah. Especially now that we have all of these like super 
beautiful camera angles that know how to zoom in right on their right on their grip. wrist action as they're releasing. Yep. I that's what really gets me is when you see like a knuckle curve grip or you know or like David Williams change up for example and you actually see like how they're releasing the ball up close and you're just like holy you're just like it's over here and it's going like that and you're just like man you try to do it in slow motion you're like that's just I mean I it's oh gosh it's yeah, yeah no I'm um, echoed echoed a, a slow mo <laughs> Freddie Peralta's curve ball slider whatever he calls that thing Slurf, and it just yeah, like that that it probably is really I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's funny i think it is I, I was gonna say i think it's like an appropriate term actually not for like a pitch in itself but like for a curveball that has a particular shape you know yeah like if you want to if you want to distinguish jose barrios from clayton kershaw they both throw curves but they are you know very different curves yeah. absolutely i um another one Kluber, that i Kluber is the other one but yeah, he's like yeah. famous for like what what's his line is like he doesn't want to say he doesn't want to call it a curveball because he'll throw it like a curveball he doesn't want to call it a slider because yeah. he'll throw it like a slider he so just, he yeah. might he might be the only guy who's actually throwing a some like a true slurve in that sense that's that's yeah. probably Honestly, yeah. nasty though it, it's nasty. when so it's on nasty. when it's on it's gorgeous but another pitch that i just yeah. thought about that i love watching because it's just so weird is uh cesar valdez's change up oh, yeah. the the dead fish he just has this weird release of it and it just just drops in there so slow and it's yes i fully agree the, watching pitching is a blast the the last pitch the growing up it doesn't get better than when you go into the ninth inning and the most unhittable pitch in baseball's history is all of a sudden just coming out of the ninth inning and there's Mariano Rivera who gets that ball to move unbelievably late I remember I was watching an interview I think it was with Kyle Bodie and he was just like yeah the ball doesn't you know we, we used to think that the ball doesn't break late you know, it can't break late and you can't control that. He goes, then Mariano Rivera came around and that kind of <laughs> changed our thinking about it. And it it's true. Like the ball, he could do something with the baseball that just nobody else could do. And he became just a legend in the game because of that. And that's so, that's just beautiful. Watching him throw a backdoor cutter to a lefty to end the game. I mean, I'm sure if you're on the opposing end, it must have sucked all the time. But growing uh, up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the last thing you see. It was awful. But like at the same time, a little bit of you is just like, man, there is so pretty though. There's like, oh nothing I there's nothing I relished more than when Mariano Rivera would come out against the Orioles and he would blow a save. It's, and we would it's be, almost oh, like a prideful was, moment. It was magical. I was just like, "Yeah, screw this guy." It just because it it wouldn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's I think that's also the part of that I really just enjoy about pitching is when they fail. You kind of think to yourself of just like, "Oh, they are human." Jacob Degrom gave up what two runs last night or the night before, right? Mm -hmm. And you're just sort of like, "I didn't even know that was possible." <laughs> I mean, Nick Maton's getting going for two for two off of you know right? yeah. the, the best the best hitter in baseball fails seven out of ten times. Yeah, like Mike they, Trout. Yeah, he when he's going good, he's hitting three thirty, you know, four fifty and six hundred. Right, but that still means that fifty five percent of the time he's not getting on base. He still exactly. fails to get on base more than he gets on. And people have the audacity to say, oh, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> I swear there's right. someone who just like creates like accounts 
just to post like every two or three months something that's going to get baseball Twitter, like someone to say, <laughs> I don't think baseball is that hard, you know, or I, something like, like they have to be plants, man. We have this conversation like every eight weeks, <laughs> like the home runs, the, my favorite take of all time. And Jeremy Siegel posted this on uh, Twitter the other day, who's another fantastic person. Uh, the, my favorite baseball take of all time, because it's so dumb, is. Home runs are not that impressive. They're just long fly balls oh, that are outs without one, walls. Yeah. <laughs> Doubles are more impressive. And it's like, what? Oh, <laughs> I don't I don't understand. He doubled down on that take too and everything. And I just remember I remember everyone was just like, I don't even know the my one of back to back to where it all started with comedy. Tommy John again had one of my favorite all time bits, and he in the bit he goes, "I'm not dumb. I'm not smart enough to be dumb enough to work backwards on that one." <laughs> <laughs> that's that's like that's one of those things where like I don't even know how to respond to it. It's like you tell somebody like, you know, uh, the sky is blue, and they're like, "No, it's fish," and you're like, "Oh." Um. <laughs> How, how do I even respond to that? Like, it's not like you're sort of wrong. You're very wrong. And how did you get there? And we need to have a whole conversation about fundamentally you as a person. Like, just there's just a whole lot there to deal yep. with. But it's, oh my it's so, that's a great one, though. That I don't think I'll ever <laughs> see that take be topped. I, it's It's almost impossible, right? Like, think about it. Just yeah, it's, it. you know, it's so galaxy brain that, that said. It, you know, it's so galaxy brain that I think I could see a universe or like, I don't know, you get me on enough substances of some kind and I'd, you'd, I'd find a way to agree with it. Honestly, <laughs> I could see, you know, I like, you know, give me a few more of these, these, these hazies here. But uh, <laughs> so I, that, that before we get into some of the really, really random stuff, we've had a lot to say for the second straight week. We've actually been very, very baseball heavy. Like Weird, right? I don't know if I like this precedent. That we're saying, <laughs> <honestly>. <laughs> but uh, so you have a lot of very strong opinions about the state of baseball, but um, if you were actually, we got a couple more after this. I'm sorry. I'm just seeing the, uh, the list here, but if you were to be named commissioner of baseball tomorrow, what's oh. the first thing you would do? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, this is, this is always the, this is like in the first day in office as president, right? Like this is always the, the, the question they have to ask yourself, but it's mm -hmm. also like, what's the most realistic the option? Yeah, yeah. Well, if the first day, I think the first thing I would do is probably end the blackout restriction. That's probably what I would do because it's okay. the simplest step, Word. right? Like it's it's the simplest thing to do. For yeah, it's not necessarily mm -hmm. the most important, but it is the simplest. I think the next thing it I is would important, do, though. I think yeah, I, I agree. It, it is important. It, yeah, it is important. It's it's low on the totem pole of importance to me, but it's still important. Um, the next thing I would do is I would require all thirty clubs to have a review of potential um sexual harassment sexual assault racism and go through independent investigations into all of those issues um all 30 clubs would have to comply um to make sure that the workforce for baseball of every team is both you know appropriate workplace wise but also accepting and you know being just decent people is important and we need to that's a very serious issue in baseball like that's really at like close to the top of the list if not the most important issue in baseball is that we have a serious problem of clearly just a lack of respect for women and more importantly like women of color um you know we, we just 
baseball has a very serious problem with that. Um, so that would be like my second thing would be I would require all 30 teams to have an independent review of their team and their workplace culture um, and making sure that they are not committing sexual assault, sexual harassment and uh, racism. Then I would um, as commissioner, I mean, listen, this is never going to happen because a commissioner, you're representing the owners, but I would enforce a salary floor and get rid of the luxury tax i uh, i know some people are going to be like but that just helps rich teams it helps everybody if you force teams to spend it'll help the product of the game i'm sorry like that's just the truth people are like we need to stop rich teams from spending as much as i dislike you know the dodgers being almost perfect at the relative aspects of running a baseball team they are almost perfect at running there is not in my opinion a better ran franchise in sports than the dodgers because they are the perfect mix of player development baseball analytics and spending money they have the highest payroll in baseball this year by far and they don't care they they just want to win because their ownership group just said we would just won the world series for the first time in you know 30 some odd years i want to do it again one is not enough for us. We need to spend. And every team should be like that. Every team should be pushing, yeah. you know, to spend as much as the Dodgers because every team could. And I don't want to hear, oh, that, well, the Rays can't spend like that. Yes, they could. Of course they could. <laughs> you cannot say otherwise. They obviously could spend like the Rays, but they won't. And this won't happen because. You know, as commissioner, you represent the owners. You're supposed to. I, Rob Manfred is not good at the job, but he is very good at representing the owners, which is more, which is the bigger problem. I was going to say there's the an interpretation problem. that he's, in fact, really, really good at his job. Yeah. yeah. It, the, 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 arguably, you could say that he's fantastic at it because he does what they say really, really well. And that's just mm -hmm. the problem is like that he does what they say really well. Um, so those would be the you know first three things. And then I'd be pushing to. Convince the players union to be open to more marketing techniques, um, to be open to pushing the game into inner cities, more funding programs that allow kids in the inner city to play baseball for free, um, developing. I believe there's already like a uh, black prospect system that isn't ran through MLB, but I know it exists. Um, I would be pouring money into that, like ASAP, funding that, giving that as much money as they want, you know, because... Uh, and I mentioned this earlier that representation is very important. It is so important for the growth of the game. Mookie Betts being in the World Series is very important and very powerful. Ken Griffey Jr. is one of the most impactful people in sports in the last 30 years back then, right? But it's been, the discourse has been better about it now that Griffey played the game the right way and all that stuff. Like, you know, you hear from people like Latin ball players, you know, Fat and lazy with Gary Sanchez all the time. And that's just, I mean, I'm sorry, but at this point, that's just coded language for just, you're, you're just racist at that point, right? And the Gary Sanchez conversation as a whole, I mean. It's just, a, it's a can of worms yeah, that is just it's, awful to get into. Um, it's but, pretty simple. That's what you just described. But yeah, yeah, it's pretty one much. Of many, yeah. One of many examples. That's... Yes. Um, so we need to, you know, we need to clean that up. And that starts with like representation. Those conversations don't happen as much if the fan base is more diversified, if we force the conversation to, you know, this is just life in general, to force people to have conversations about your biases. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, I have problems. 
because nobody's perfect. Everybody has faults. Everybody has biases. Everybody thinks things, whether they're true or not, they still believe them, right? The people yeah. have those confounded beliefs and we need to fight those. And we need to fight them in baseball too, of just like forcing the fan base as a whole to understand that there are coded messages, there are coded language about ballplayers, especially ones that are black and uh, Hispanic, that they don't run hard. They, oh, they're wearing too much. The jewelry is going to wear, wear them down. Oh, they should just not bat flip that. We've come a long way on bat flips and we're still not fully there. But like, yeah, think about it. Think about like just a couple of years ago, how the only people who really got criticized for bat flips, who were they? Oh, for sure. And, and, and you know, the, the thing that I just I had thought of when you were talking about like people need to be able to sit down, look at themselves in the mirror and understand that there are inherent biases. And I heard somebody describe uh, racism in a way where or being racist in a way of saying like it, nobody wants to call themselves a liar, but everybody lies. <laughs> and it's kind of the same way with racism in a lot of ways. Like nobody wants to call themselves a racist, but everyone has these inherent biases and oftentimes through no fault of their own because of it doesn't make you a bad person. Up. No, no. It, it, in the, but if you out check and out, right. If you check them out and out bigotry, isn't the only form of racism. Like it's not there. And there is a whole generation of people, I think, honestly, um, who kind of think like the only way you are racist is if you are like the outwardly like, hateful, outwardly hate, hateful and bigoted. Otherwise, it's not racism, and it's just not. Yeah, it's just not true. That's just not true. Yeah, you know it. it, No, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say it's it's a such a stain on the sport of baseball that one of the biggest offseason news was just all the stuff with the Mets. Everything with Jared Porter, Mickey Calloway, all that stuff. That was such a. We should not be having those conversations and anywhere really. I mean, workplace harassment shouldn't take place. Period. It does. And we need to have a grander conversation about that. But one of the biggest conversations in baseball this past offseason was on that. That's not good. Yeah, it's not good for the growth of the game. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, The the thing I was going to say is that has to be the most thoughtful answer to that question that we've had, which which I love. I mean, that that's. There was a lot there and I I loved every bit of it. Because it's important. Yeah, absolutely. and like yeah. we need to be hiring a more diverse group of people. And that's not to say like letting women into the room will automatically make things better. No, it's not enough to let women into the room or to let black people in the room or let Hispanic people or Asian people in the room. You need to hear what they have to say. It's not enough to just say, oh, they're here. That's fine. No, that's not. That's not like we're, we're not going far enough unless we're saying, hey, your voice is valued. If we're doing something wrong or somebody does something wrong, tell us. The Giants are doing it right. Farhan Zaidi is their executive. Lizanakin is on their coaching staff. They're open to anything because and respect to the Giants, they basically just said, if you're good at the game, you're good at the game. Right? And we want to have a work staff culture that represents that. And that's great. 
are they going far enough? Probably not, because probably nobody is, right? Yeah. But like, at least there are steps being taken. Bianca Smith being hired by the Red Sox this past offseason to be a minor league hitting coach. She just had her first game yesterday with the ah. Florida League starting. Beautiful. That's. But also, how many people do you think know that? Right, right. Well, it's like I just keep thinking of that famous uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg story where they the Supreme Court justice asked her uh, how many women will be enough on the Supreme Court. And she says, when there's nine and it's, you know, it's, yeah, there's, it's, it's progress is good, but like you we said, we need to do better. We need and we can hard. do better. We can yep. do better. That, that's, that's the point that I want to drive home here to anybody listening is we can do more. And yeah. It's on us individually to recognize that, that we need to do more, that we need to, you know, stamp out, you know, racism and sexism and misogyny and any form of bigotry that we see anywhere and it's not always easy um it you're going to have some tough conversations with people that you know and that's necessary uh you know you need to have conversations with people that you know because if you're not going to check them you never know who will and if you have the opportunity to do so if you have the opportunity to make your workplace better you should do it and that's just not that's not just a baseball thing, even though baseball desperately needs it. Yes. Uh, it's a life thing. And I think that's the bar is the bar is not high. The bar is very low. <laughs> and so all you have to do it's is do all these simple things, which not only are you clearing the bar, appeasing your fans, but you're also doing the right thing and helping the game. You're doing the right thing for the growth of the game. We spent a lot of time talking about that today. But doing all these things helps because it as we said, accessibility, representation, accountability, you're being accountable for your actions by trying to make the game more accessible for everybody by getting better representation of everybody. Absolutely. I want to, just because I don't, I don't want to keep you too, too long. I want to move on to our sort of random stuff section. We're going to ask you some questions about just some random things here and there. And we are going to start with the order of operations trifecta. We're going to ask you uh, three different things. We want to know the order in which you do those things. The first one, when you get dressed, do you put socks or pants on first? Pants. Uh, I put pants on first because sometimes I don't have to wear socks, but if I'm going out, right? So pants are always, assuming I'm leaving my room, I do not want to be walking around my house, uh, around my family, you know, in my yes. underwear. I feel like that's rude. Um, so I will wear pants always, but I won't always wear socks cause I'm in my house. I couldn't agree more. That's, mm. I am always wearing pants. I am not always wearing socks. Correct. I feel like that's like we hear in the in, inverse of that a lot. It's either one or the other. It's like people say, I always wear socks, but sometimes I wear shorts or it's, I always wear pants oh, well. slash shorts, but sometimes I wear socks. I feel uh, like that's just like that's, the, the question was more like pants or shorts. I feel like that was just like a given, like you just yeah. need something mm -hmm. on your legs. It's <laughs> not your underwear. I am somebody who prefers <laughs> to go barefoot as much as humanly possible. I hate socks. So I am a barefoot person, but I also know oh. people who just wear socks all of the time, just when they're at home, just no matter what, they're always wearing socks. I try socks. to be barefoot I, when I'm at home, but like, like when I'm out and about, I wear socks and shoes. Right. And it's like something I go out of the house and I come back and I take my shoes off. I'm not going to, I just wear my socks around. I oh, I absolutely take my socks off right away. Oh, okay. Interesting. It depends. As soon as I walk in the door, <laughs> shoes off, socks off, done. Was it a good day or was it a bad day? Doesn't matter. Because <laughs> <laughs> if it's a good socks day. socks off as soon as possible. If it's a good day, I'm probably not paying too much attention. But if it's a bad day, yeah, I'm taking those socks off out oh, of frustration man. and everything. <laughs> Immediately. Anyways, 
so next one. Oh yes, the next one. Um, <laughs> you you you've listened to this show before, so you probably know it's coming. So I'll just get straight oh, to no. the point. Milk or cereal first? Which comes? cereal? Please, people yes. who pour the milk first another, scare me. They scare me. Uh, I saw this guy post a video the other day, and he was like pouring the milk and then the cereal. I'm just like overflow over. Oh, you ever see that John Stewart bit about the the congressional hearing on science and climate or something like that? It's if if you get the chance, I can't remember. I'll try and find it and maybe I'll send it to you guys. But it's it's hysterical. John Stewart at one point in time, he's like getting so frustrated, and he's like, "This guy brings a a snowball." Oh, oh Jim and Hofe. That's oh yeah. yes, yeah. good the old Jim and Hofe of Oklahoma, the senator of Oklahoma brings yeah, a snowball brings the onto snowball. the Senate floor, uh, or like oh yes. so well, you know as the ice melts, doesn't it just become water? <laughs> John Stewart's like it overflows, it overflows, it overflows, <laughs> it goes everywhere, <laughs> and uh, that's how I feel when I see people pour the milk first. It's like it's the same thing, it's the same thing. It's gonna overflow. I, I'll do that. You will find no arguments here. Um. The last Just to add one. insult to injury yeah. onto the the Jake Seely hate. I had a buddy text me. He got he tried the cinnamon toast churro, the cinnamon toast crunch churros recently, and they were basura. That's what I've been told. Oh yeah. Oh no. Nobody, no. Not good, um, not the last part of the <laughs> trifecta: when you brush your teeth, toothpaste or water first. So I go water, toothpaste, water. That's and then how you do it. That is how you do it. Okay. See, I feel like I feel like these. uh, I'm answering these things so confidently, like no, that's great. And then your answers are giving me such pause. I'm like, oh no, no. no. you are (laughs) nailing it. You are nailing it. Um, I. So next question I want to ask you, one of my favorites always. Have you ever seen a ghost, or had some sort of experience? that you couldn't explain where like afterwards you're like, I don't, I don't know what just happened. What was that? I've never seen a ghost, but I will explain this just because I think it's kind of funny. I was, I, my little brother, he's a big bowler. So I was taking him bowling and then we were driving back and I see out of the corner of my eye, what appears to be the like back of a truck, you know, like the bed attachable to a truck, you know, just kind of, driving along but i all of a sudden i'm like wait that's not on the road it's coming down from a hill i'm like oh maybe there's just a truck coming Nope, there's no truck oh my god that thing and all of a sudden it's just coming right at me and i'm like I move out of the way i see it doesn't hit anybody nobody was injured let me preface it by that nobody <laughs> got hurt thank god but i see it hit the wall uh of this storage unit place right and then i'm thinking and i see all the dirt flying and all i'm thinking is where the heck did that come from? Because <laughs> like the hill, it, it goes up and then down. So that means it had to start somewhere on the up, but the up right. isn't all that high. And also, why was it there? Was there a truck that dropped it off there? Who who would do that? Why did they do that? And I cannot explain it. I can't explain. It. I don't know where it came from. I don't so know how it got there. Been... I don't know how it started moving. The uh, Phantom Trailer. I, yeah, it's it just. I felt That's so bad wild. because my, my girlfriend and my brother were just like, what the heck just happened? Again, <laughs> nobody got hurt, which is the yeah. important part of this story. Um, yeah. But it was so funny. But I, I don't know where it came from. I, I, it's been weeks since it happened, almost months now. And I'm, I still don't know. I, I haven't figured it out. I don't Man, know how it is... possibly could have started. 
That is what I thought you were about. That's a good name. I thought you were about to. Sounds like a Hardy Boys book. I thought you were about to tell me you saw a UFO or something. I was about to be like, what? I'm I'm not that interesting. (laughs) No, 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 no. That's still super crazy. Like that's that's wild, man. One one person. That's a little more eerie than a ghost in some ways. Yeah, because like it definitely actually happened. You're like, I don't know. There was physics behind it happening. I just don't know what. Yeah, you can you can you can explain away a ghost or something. Be like, eh. Is a trick of the eyes or whatever, but like that—that that happened. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing. A ghost, you don't even have to explain. It's like, oh, you know, it's a ghost. Out of the point yeah. is that it's like you know, it defies physics and logic. But no, there's something happening here. We, there's, we just don't something know what weird. it is. Yeah, but, something weird. Uh, my favorite oh, man. part. My favorite part was that at first it looked like it was attached to a truck because a truck drove by and there was just this like blue trailer in the back of it and like depth perception was like it was close enough that it could look like it was just coming around the corner a little bit and then as soon as the truck went by and the trailer was still moving i was like oh no it's not attached <laughs> and it's coming right at me oh my god oh my gosh, so then i just moved out of the way and you know <laughs> luckily right. nobody was nobody was coming that yeah. made it easier there was one time i was driving on the highway i was coming back from arizona it was my last time coming back from arizona one time i've had i'll explain this is a separate story from another one i'm about to explain but and this guy just stops dead in the highway in the middle of traffic and if i i very quickly check to my right to make sure that nobody's behind me and i just swerve in by him and then back into my lane to make sure i don't hit anybody and i came like this close to hitting four different cars because of how fast i had to move that was close yeah but the closer one was one time I was driving back from Arizona and it's May. So keep that in mind. Um, we're driving from, we're leaving Arizona. It's pretty hot. You know, it's May in Arizona. It's going to, going to be warm. Um, then we're driving through, uh, Southern California a little bit and it starts to rain just, just a little bit. And like, okay, it's not unheard of, but rain in Southern California in May is a little odd. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it gets like, it's getting really windy on the drive. So I'm sitting there and I'm like moving around like that, moving all over the place while I'm driving. And I'm thinking to myself, ah, man, it's, it's really windy. And then all of a sudden I'm like, it's getting like really windy. And so then we're in the desert still. So a dust storm basically happens and I can't see like more than five feet in front of me. Oh, um, so, so like I see to my right, like this car just like inching forward. I'm inching forward. Then we go under this bridge and the dust storm like stops and we come out the other side and it's gone. No dust storm anymore. It just gone, dead stop. And I'm wow. like, well, that was odd. So, yeah. but I'm I'm just like, okay, so rain, wind, dust storm, uh, definitely something. Then I'm getting closer to a, a, what's called the grapevine in Southern California. It's like sort of I call it like the way you know you're leaving Northern California into Southern <laughs> California. Uh, it's just just this big mountain and everything. And as we're getting close, it starts to hail. And I'm like, okay, I'm done driving. I tell my mom, like, you can drive now. It's it's hailing. I've gone You're through You're like just rolling through all the plane. Yeah. 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 I'm, yeah. I'm just like, I'm, I'm going through all types of weather. Then on the grapevine, it starts to snow. We're in the mountains and it starts. We literally went through every type of weather you could possibly imagine. That's so bizarre. And I was, the, the, the scariest it got was when it was in the dust storm. Because it was like, I couldn't see. And I was like, if I move yeah. anywhere, I could hit something. So that was yeah. legitimately yeah, that kind of like terrifying. But after, like, once nah. it once it started hailing, I was so over it. I was like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. We can oh stop. God, to go <laughs> yeah. through like five different types of weather in one. <laughs> yeah, it was That's awful, nuts. awful. The drive, oh, yeah. 
from so, down below, um, as they say. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm out of the Bible. So, um, super related question, but I've been surveying people on this lately. Who do you think makes the best fast food chicken sandwich? It depends on, like, I'm not a huge chicken sandwich guy. So let's see. Well, I mean, I feel like the standard is, I'm, I'm not going to say Chick-fil-A because screw Chick-fil-A. Um, <laughs> I would say Chick-fil-A. I understand. I, the, I think yeah. Popeye's has kind of taken the crown, though. Honestly. I, um, I had I, a Popeye's chicken sandwich once. It gave me a little bit of a rough reaction because <laughs> it's it was it a little Popeyes. spicier than I intended. And it is Popeye's. But it was pretty good. Um, I've heard. Uh, I see those Burger King ads for the new Burger King. Like, pretty good. Well, I think it... I think everybody's basically uh, like recognizing that people don't like Chick Fil A so much, and so they're all like, "Well, what if we just do what they do, like a decent quality chicken sandwich?" Because now McDonald's is doing it. They all have Burger them, King's doing it. it. Yeah, everyone's doing it now, and I I'd, I'd like to try more of them. I will say, I I have my own personal conflict over chick-fil-a because of you know everything yeah <laughs> um but i you know they I'll fund admit, the conversion camps yeah <laughs> i mean yeah they do do that i know well do they do they still because i know they stopped for a, i'm pretty sure they do i'm pretty so sure they're pretty they're, group, they, they're they, pretty they don't unrepentant fund another group now they, they yeah stopped they're pretty one. They're pretty unrepentant in their awfulness. Though. I know. They're like, I, yeah. yeah, I have my own problems with but it. But that's why you can go to Popeyes now, or Burger King, or McDonald's, or like they—they're all pretty. KFC is a solid KFC's, one now too. KFC, like, good. my children yeah. will not eat at any of those establishments, unfortunately. <laughs> is that a, a you decision or their decision? That is a them decision. Oh, that is a, so they don't like what? it. Oh no no no! Good, this, it good for me. them. I would good, love to. I'd love good to for them. Good good else. on them. But this is like the complete inverse relationship that I have. Oh no no! My, my at that age. Yeah. My my. Uh, in in other words, my kids don't like the food at other fast food places. They only like Chick Fil A for whatever. And oh. Sonic for some reason. <laughs> they don't have oh, Sonics here. I don't know. No. They, like, Sonic. They like. It, you know, I. There are a lot of, and this is this is going to sound really gross. But the way I, I kind of like just shoehorn it into my life because I'm like, well, there's a whole lot of awful corporations out there who do awful, horrible things. <laughs> I probably shouldn't. I, it's something I like every time I go, I'm like, Ugh, I don't like this. And I, don't know. <laughs> I probably shouldn't. Honestly, I probably shouldn't go to Chick-fil-A, but then I do. And I don't know. I don't, I don't know. eat much fast food. Just do. Yeah, just take the kids. Know, man. Honestly, I don't know. take I'm the just... kids to KFC. You're just like, like I, you can find some way to take them to another place and be like, yeah, it's Chick-fil-A. Just gaslight the shit out of them. Like, this is <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. You just lie to him. Like, I just lie. lie. Yeah, I just lie to him. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what parents food, usually so. do. I don't know. I, I, I try that not, I'm not to, the best yeah. answer to that question, but like, I will say KFCs is pretty good. Popeyes is pretty good. Again, I don't eat much fast food. It's it's just like it's just so bad for you. Like it really. I I'm I try to eat relatively healthy but i do go get myself like a burrito from this place that's close to my house that's really good like once or twice a week and it's just i know i shouldn't but it's so good <laughs> it's so good but i know i shouldn't maybe i'll work yeah. on it one day one day <laughs> so um i would like to so before we get to the full count the last section of this there's uh i want to hear well, I'm trying to think. Is there one or two more questions I want to ask? We'll go two, two, because the one one that I want to ask 
that I've been asking lately, and I've and I've found some really interesting answers. What is you write a lot about baseball? Um, you are one of one of our consistent going deep writers at Pitcher List. What is an important lesson that you've learned about writing? I think the biggest thing I learned was that you will always see things from a from a perspective that maybe other people might agree with, but they can't phrase the way you can. Mm. Your perspective is your perspective. And it's important to like check other people's work. I know that's been a hot topic of picture list for the past few weeks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's valid. It's valid because you don't want to say the same thing as somebody else, like unless you can phrase it in a different way. But that that part at the end there is important that phrasing it a different way is phrasing it your way, making mm. it seem like it's your voice. Because it, it is. The biggest key to writing is you need to find what you're good at. And I'm, I'm for me personally, I'm good with pitching. Like I... I try to writing about offensive players to me is just like super boring. Their approach, they stop swinging. Dude, it's they hard, swing more. It's... They hit hard. They don't hit hard. And, and the thing is, is like it. there's there's so much less information that like you can. So many times I have written. I did it a few weeks ago. I wrote an article about Patrick Wisdom, and I'm like, he was like going off, and I was like, well, you know, it's no surprise that the power is here because he's had he's always hit the ball really hard and all this stuff. And I put out this article, and like from that day on, he was just—he has been terrible. Oh, I, and I, I feel and like luckily, jinx. luckily, the I jinx. didn't. Oh yeah, luckily I didn't say anything in the article. Like he's legit. Go get him. Like I said, there's a lot of concerns with his approach, and like there's a whole lot of reason to be worried yeah. about him. The inevitable um, Salvador Perez regression <laughs> when he's walking three percent of the time. Yeah, people exactly. are like, yeah, but he's gonna hit thirty home runs. Not yeah. gonna hit the, the even the even more concerning about Tabor Perez is he's striking out at a career high rate this year and walking close to a career low. That's even more of a warning sign that the dude's like, gonna fall off at some that point. Was, but that was year, like Jonathan Scope for so many years has like had a two point five percent walk rate. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like when I see that, um, um, immediately all I think to myself is sell, 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 sell. Oh sell, yeah, sell, absolutely. Sell, 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 but sell, no, sell. I I agree with you. <laughs> Writing about pitching, I think, can be more interesting, and there's just so much more you can work with. Yeah, so one hundred percent. You can make, you really can make an article out of the smallest detail sometimes. Exactly. Right. Like oh, if a yeah. guy throw, started throwing, like uh, Zach, you wrote an article about uh, was that you or Mikey that wrote an article about Lucas Giolito's changeup? That was Mikey. Yeah. Yeah, and I just remember like an entire article just dedicated to Lucas Giolito's changeup and how mm-hmm. to develop it, and just like yeah, like that, that's it. Like I I watched. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez, I saw him pitch and he was throwing first pitch changeups a bunch. And I was just like, that's fascinating. And that sparked my interest in like writing an article about him and how he's throwing his changeup a lot more. And that's all that necessary. Sometimes I remember I, I wrote for my Sean Manaya piece, the guy only throws three pitches and I spent a thousand words on just those three pitches and how he uses them, how he throws them. And it's so much more fascinating than Aaron Judge hit ball hard and it go far. Yeah, yeah. Be, and then you sit there and you're like, like that's, that's, that way. It's the extent of my offensive analysis. Well, and you see a guy like you know having an offensive breakout, and then like the there's only a handful of there's a routine I always go through whenever I write those articles. It's like, all right, how is he hitting the ball harder? What's his launch angle profile look like? Is he? And then you look at some video of him last year compared to this year. What's the approach look like? Is he got a step that's different? Blah 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 blah. blah. Is he but you run enough? Right. That's, all, that's where yeah. I always start with. It's like I look at a breakout and I go, okay, 
what's his walk rate and if it's always mm-hmm. like sub eight i'm like nope not gonna last and then <laughs> i don't even spend the time I, like i know it's not gonna last because yep. the ability for batted ball luck just it never works out over a full season it yeah. never does ever and so that's where i just like that's that, that's why writing about hitters is just so much harder for me of just like 50 you know you know they tell you know as we try to write about 1500 words 2000 words right 1500 words on a hitter can be tough at times because unless it's like I, not to mention him again but like gary sanchez he changed his swing it's like okay we can go into like 300 400 500 words on just how his swing what his swing changes yeah. right in the yeah. approach then you can spend another 500 words about what what the approach is and then another 500 on like how he's hitting the ball and then like you know, a recommendation on what to do basically. Right. And yeah. that's, that's easier. But when a guy just all of a sudden is just like, I had a career 720 OPS and now I'm at 980. It's like, okay, why? And they didn't do anything differently. They're just making contact more like just getting luckier. And you're just sitting there like, well, I can't just say, Oh yeah, he's just <laughs> getting luckier. Like, cause yeah. it doesn't make sense. But like sometimes the, the honest truth is like, yeah, they're just getting luckier. Yep. Exactly. Nope. Couldn't agree more. Um, so does that bring good. us yeah. to you? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, wait, 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 no, 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 quite, not quite. We got one more, one more before we hit the full count. So. Yeah. Yeah. So one last question before we hit the full count. Um, tell me about a time in which you laughed really, really hard. Oh, um, uh, have you ever seen This Is the End with Seth Rogen yes. yep. and Evan Goldberg and all that? So I watched that movie with my dad, and it was just me. And like, That's an awkward movie to watch with your dad. <laughs> I had a blast, to okay. be honest. But the, the this is about to get awkward is I watched that with my dad, and the scene that we both just roared at, lost it, I was crying from tears, was... <laughs> The scene where Danny McBride's like, I'm going to wherever I want. And yep, Franco's yep, getting yep, so mad. Yep, that yep. is a hilarious three minute exchange. Oh my God. That is just just hysterical. It's so yeah. funny. A more PG version, I guess, that had me laughing super hard was it also had my friend dying too. Um, not to out my girlfriend's mom or anything, but my girlfriend's sister was in Florida to go to Disney World a couple weeks ago and they went to SeaWorld for a day for some weird reason and so we were they we were trying to explain to her uh, her mom that SeaWorld's a bad place and there's a documentary on it called Blackfish and you should watch it it's actually pretty good and so she's like okay I really liked Tiger King so I'll watch that like, not the same thing but like okay so you might be able to tell where this is going to go uh, she watches Blackfish and her response is sort of like yeah, it was it was good, but like the animals weren't really abused or anything like that. And I was like, were you expecting like seals to get clubbed or something? Like, is that what you wanted to see? She's like, yeah, it wasn't really all that. Not enough. Uh, like, not enough animal horrible. violence. Not <laughs> enough was, animal violence. I told that to my friend, and we were just dying laughing. My girlfriend was there. I wasn't talking behind her back, and she can verify yeah, yeah, the story. Yeah. Uh, but she, she, he was dying laughing. Like he literally, we were getting a dim sum. And if you have ever had dim sum before, fantastic food. Get it. And if you haven't, find it because it's really good. Um, and he's just sitting there and his head's like down on the table and he's like roaring laughing for like a good three, four minutes. That's a much more uh, PG version, I guess, than the uh, 
this is the end. No, I I know the scene you're talking about. That that scene is absolutely (laughs) hilarious, and it's just Danny McBride being Danny McBride, which is that movie's. I feel like that movie's kind of gone underrated because at the time people were like, "This movie's hysterical," and then we've sort of forgotten about how good this is. The end. It's also like such a high budget dumb comedy <laughs> yeah it is it's like dumb like the effects in that movie are relatively yeah. okay especially for a comedy that it's like production oh, but like, yeah it, it is yeah, it's, it's, it's wild it's a it's, wild movie it's just a fun dumb good movie it's also super violent fair warning oh, yeah. super, not violent, super sexual super bunch of really bad stuff movie. michael Sarah is hysterical in his yes. like, four minutes on oh, screen God. but it yeah. is some of the funniest stuff ever What's the matter? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's oh man. So let's we're gonna move on to the full count here. We're going to ask you for a recommendation in each of five categories. The Ooh. first category, I, and I want to. Pre- I always preface this by saying, usually it's the first thing that pops in your head. You don't have to feel obligated to give us something super obscure. If you know whatever it is, that's what I want to hear. Gotcha. First category is books. What is a book that you would recommend? Um, well, I'm I'm gonna say this because uh, I have something relatively it's relative tomorrow involved in this. Uh, if you're a baseball fan, I think you need to read the MVP Machine to understand modern day baseball. And it's uh, yep. it's, first of all, it's a great book. Uh, who, you know who it's relatively about is. There's one good person and then there's one maybe not so good person. Um, <laughs> and that's a topic for another day. But it's also just a good book. Like it really breaks down of like where we are as a sport and like what led to everything we know now and that we've talked about today, especially about pitching. Um, and that's important. Like if you want to work in baseball, that's that's a book that you need to read. It's also just you, a good book. It's it's a great book. I liked it a lot. Uh, you are like the second or third person to recommend third that or book. fourth even. It's, yeah, it's yeah. Really, I, mean, I mean, it's really it's, it's the money book, ball. Man. It's the the, the, gen- it's the, the money, money ball, ball of this, this generation. generation. Yeah, oh, so, it's yeah. it's a brilliant book. It really is. Yeah, I'd also say Future um, Value, which came out from uh, McDaniel and uh, yeah. uh, and Long and Hagen. Yeah, yeah, I haven't checked that, that really out yet. I've been meaning to. Yeah, for sure. Um. Yeah, that's been on my list for a while, and I haven't gotten around to it. But anyhow, um, second recommendation is food. And that can be like a restaurant or an ingredient, or I guess no one's ever given us like an ingredient, but just like anything food related. <laughs> anything food related, a, a dish you mm-hmm. make or, yeah, a place you would go, whatever. So if you're in Northern California and you're driving to San Francisco from like the Sacramento area or driving from San Francisco or Oakland to the – Sacramento area or that anything like that uh, heading towards east there's a place in what's called Nut Tree Park that's relatively outside of Davis California and it's called Amici's it's there's another one relatively in the Bay Area too but they have this uh, linguine with red clam sauce that is the single best dish I've ever had in my life it's so so good I Every time I drive to San Francisco or back from San Francisco, I tell my friends or my family that we have to stop there. Have to. It's too far to go there consistently. Like it's a, it's like an hour drive for me, and I'm not driving. Red an hour clam to... sauce. I've never yeah. heard of that. That's fascinating. It's so good. It's I like Word. seafood a lot, um, and I like clams. So you know, if you're not a seafood person, maybe it's not for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I it's 
so good. The if I had a secondary, it would be what I mentioned earlier. Get dim sum. It's dim sum. It, yeah, it will change your life. Hasn't somebody recommended dim sum before? Or am I thinking? Of? Was it? Um, it might have been Mikey. I know he's tweeted about it a bunch. I oh, feel like it's been know. discussed, but I'm not sure. Maybe not a recommendation. Um, no, those are great recommendations. Um, next category: movies and or TV. What is a movie and or TV show you would recommend? Ooh, that's a that's a good one. I've been showing my girlfriend hasn't watched as many movies as I have, so we've been going through a bunch of movies recently. I think we've already watched just this year like 45, 50 movies. That so that's yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, our, yeah, yeah. our goal our goal is like one or two a week. Um, we just started the Marvel movies because Black Widow comes out soon, so she's going nice. to see all those. Nice. She hasn't seen any of them, and I feel so bad because there's so many. There's it's 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 intimidating, <laughs> but I I tend to remind people who find it intimidating. I'm like, it's been like 13 years, so yeah. like there's a lot. You it know, of sense. course it's a lot. It's yeah, there's a lot of movies. It's been 13 years of massive success. Let me let me preface yeah. it by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also T V uh, shows on top of that and all yeah. of that. But you just you just gotta start it. That's I've been uh going through I decided to watch all the Bond movies. Oh, and, I've done know, that before. There's been that's there's some clunkers 50 in years. There, though. Oh my god. I could go on <laughs> because I could I I don't know what website wants it, but I could write a very long article about the Bond films. Um, just by because I've just because I've invested so much time, there's, I'm almost finished with all of them. They are good shows, man. To see if anyone like you should honestly <laughs> just put it up and like send it out and get it ready to go and see if anyone notices. Oh that you just yeah, wrote a completely unrelated say, article and post stuff like <laughs> put it on picture list. Like here's four thousand words about the Bond series. Um, but anyway. anyways, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. Uh, it's intimidating, but you just gotta uh, dive in. But yeah, mm-hmm. one of my f- I, I, I am a drummer. Uh, I played drums most of my life. I played for about 11, 12 years. Um, and it's it's very fun. Uh, Zach does know. And if you know anything about movies, you know what I'm about to say. Whiplash is oh, yeah. one of the best movies made, arguably ever. J.K. Simmons gives one of the yeah. best performances I've ever seen in my life. I remember when the Oscars were coming around. And the Oscars, you know, they're kind of hosey, scammy, whatever. But I remember everyone was just like, if J.K. Simmons loses, we riot. It is rigged. He was um, incredible. So good. And then my secondary choice for a movie would be um, Prisoners with Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal. Dude. That movie is extremely that underrated. Movie's incredible. So Denis Villeneuve, the director of that film. I love him. My favorite working director right now. Dune. I'm so excited for Dune. Dune. I cannot. I'm currently wearing a T-shirt. I. This is going to be great for the listeners. That says Surf Arrakis. Like I, I can't tell you how excited nice. I am for Dune. Oh I, man, I love that book. And uh, the original the movie is not that great. The original <laughs> David Lynch movie is not great, but I don't blame David Lynch because he tried to make a th- movie. It was like three hours, and the studio yeah, was like, mm, "Cut that down." <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah. and it just, it, it's tough Dune's tough but if anyone can do it Denis Villeneuve can and that man Blade he has Runner not made it uh, Blade Runner 2049 incredible uh, Arrival. Arrival incredible uh, Arrival. even his earlier stuff um, um, oh my god I'm well, blanking did he do Enemy Was, did he do that he one did too? Enemy he did yeah, Enemy that's a good also one. incredible that's a really good one um, but uh, Prisoners um Oh my God! Prisoners is in my top hundred films of all time. It's so and good. It's, it's so good. I will tell you, it's a tough one to watch as a parent. Uh, oh yeah, I'm sure. People, people always, you know, told me like before 
uh, you know, before you have kids, make sure you go out and do things. And like what they should tell you is like, make sure you go out and watch movies where kids die. <laughs> yeah. Because once you have a kid, like you just, you can't. <laughs> like it's just 100%. not in you. It's, it's super hard. But um, no, uh, Incendies. Incendies is the film I'm thinking of. Mm. Um, I haven't seen that one. Dude, it's an early Denis. Uh, uh, it's 2010. It's an early film of his. Uh, it's brilliant. And uh, even the man hasn't made a bad movie. He did uh, uh, the movie a year before that, Polytechnic, which is a uh, relatively short movie. I have heard of that movie. one. That one's, that one's good, too. But, oh, my God. Uh, and Sicario. Sicario is a too. good one. Yeah. Now, luckily, mm-hmm. with Prisoners and Sicario, one of the things, and Blade Runner 2049, one of the things that makes those movies such good films is Roger Deakins is the cinematographer what on all three of those movies. Brilliant cinematographer. The best the fact cinematographer. That he had never won until Blade Runner twenty forty nine, right? That was the first time he had so, won, or was it? Yeah, it was. That was the first one. No, Blade that Runner. He he didn't both. do Arrival, but um, he did Blade Runner, Prisoners, and Sicario, and all three of those are just brilliantly mm-hmm. shot. Um, I was just I, because I was going through the Bond films. I just recently got to uh, Spectre, which he did. Or not Spectre, I'm sorry, uh, Skyfall. He did Skyfall. I love Skyfall. I was just watching that. That's probably my favorite solid movie. movie. Skyfall is really good, but Deacons Deacons did the cinematography. He he likes to work with Sam Mendes, as he did on 1917, which was also incredible. Mm. Um, The only one of those that I've seen was Arrival, but I really love that. That was a great movie. Um, I strongly could strongly recommend everybody go watch Denis Villeneuve, everything he does. Um, The use of time. I have to start watching more of those. Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. I the 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 reveal in that movie it just makes you go oh my god that's brilliant like it's just yep. it's so good I cannot say enough good things about that man <laughs> absolutely so, so sticking with pop culture our fourth recommendation is music second episode in a row we haven't talked about music so I know weird right uh, the last I already mentioned them uh, I mentioned him but I'm a huge Jack White fan uh, like making Same. music playing music like he's my inspiration that dude he he had a he, he has one of the best quotes i've ever heard from that he heard from tony bourdain and i heard him say it so i guess it's tony bourdain r.i.p to an absolute legend and a wonderful human being um that was if you can reach a piano in two feet put it or if you can reach a piano in a foot put it two feet away from you always strive to make yourself work and mm. i love that mindset i love that uh, mentality and i love jack white i mean just one of the best guitar players in the history of music. he is I mean, uh you ever seen him live no i have it's been a dream you to see got him to, live. My, my brother has he we, i was gonna go to the rack and tours in 2019 mm-hmm. when they were in mm-hmm. pittsburgh but then i was working too much i couldn't get the time off to go see him um but he kills i've seen him twice yeah. one time uh one of my uh greatest experiences of my life was I got to attend a Jack White concert as a personal guest of the Jack White band. Ooh. Um, uh, Ooh. The, the, it's a weird, you know? so a friend of mine knows Jack White's theremin slash fiddle player, oh, a man, the, a man the... named Fats Kaplan. Yes. Yeah. So Fats, that that's a hell of a sentence. Uh, I know. <laughs> I know. And that's why if ever I play uh, two truths and a lie, I include that. And then I <laughs> start telling Kaplan. the story. I'm like, yeah, friend of mine knows the theremin slash fiddle player for Jack White. His name is Fats Kaplan. <laughs> that is all true. Um, who is so, amazing at that. Who's brilliant. Oh, he's, yeah. he's really good. And so my friend, 
emailed Fats and was like, hey, man, so you guys are coming to Maryland. Uh, you hook me up with some free tickets. And not only did Fats give us free tickets, I was expecting we we're at Merriweather Post Pavilion, which is one of those places that has assigned seating and all like an orchestra and a lawn. Mm-hmm. I was expecting we'd get free lawn tickets, which would have been fine. I mean, just fantastic. Mm-hmm. We got front row middle section oh. as comp tickets. Fats got us comp tickets, front row, middle section. I, I just, I, and there's, there's a pit in front of that. Right. You're right behind the pit. And I'm just like, this is the most incredible thing. And it's, he puts on a great show. He is. I've seen a bunch of, cause you know, he's a big enough artist that they try to film like his concerts and stuff like that. Right. Really oh yeah. 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 And I mean, just he, he'll go out and he'll play and he comes back in the encore. And he always ends with seven H and R because you have to, it's like one of the right, best right, right. in the history of music. And he always he always ends his concerts the same way. He goes, "Thank you all. You've all been incredible." And I've been Jack White, and just walks <laughs> off. That, that is Dude, one of the most you know what he did EA things ever. You know what he did at the concert in Meriwether, uh, the the second one I went to. He did the most annoying thing. He finishes a song, bangs a note on his guitar electric guitar lays it down and then leaves and just lets it feed back uh, and so we're sitting there and i'm like that's no. cool and then after sitting there for like three minutes of i'm just sitting there that, like okay that, jack i get it this is cool <laughs> but can we turn this off just like cut it cut we're the good. feed please. he does that he loves it's, to do that it's cool but like after a little while it's very annoying but <laughs> but i love jack white yeah uh, he's great any, anything he's done i mean the worst thing he's probably done is the dead weather stuff and that's still pretty good it's great i like, like yeah i love it i stuff. like the dead weather i think people are like oh that was not really that interesting i think it's really interesting i, I think, think it's really great. cool um that's great recommendation. Uh, last category in the full count: miscellaneous. Anything from your life. This can be a practice, an experience, a place, a anything from your life that you would recommend to another person. Like I said, the first thing that pops in your head, no matter how dumb or stupid you might think it is, that is the one I want to hear. So, what is your miscellaneous <laughs> recommendation? This is uh, this is not family friendly, but if you own or rent or anything that involves a toilet. You need a bidet. A bidet. Is you are the second person. I think you need. You need yeah. that in your house. You Who need it in your home. A bidet somebody is a else, necessary somebody else thing. Said to a have. bidet. It, it, sounds, change, it sounds like it a changes your life, man. It changes your life. It's just so much better. Yeah. As someone who has irritable bowel syndrome, I have IBS. There are some rough times on that toilet sometimes. Um, I know this is not. Again, I'm very sorry. Sorry, it's that all good. Is, man. Yeah, we're, dude, we're two and a half hours in. Like who? Who's still? <laughs> Congrats uh, if you made it. <laughs> have uh, to see ya. But here, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's a uh, that. That's my. You need it. You need that. You need that. That is what I have heard. No, everybody, not wrong. Not everybody wrong. I know who has gotten a bidet has been like it's life changing. So it is. It is life. It 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 made me happier. Like it just made <laughs> me a happier person. Just that's improves that's your life in every incredible. way. It does. That's it true. really does. It really does. You you'll find yourself in a better days, mood. Man. I promise. I that's, promise you. I know. That's just like such a. I don't know. I feel like one of these days I'm going to walk into an apartment that I'm looking at and it's going to have a bidet and I'm going to be like, all right, like quality person. Let's that's quality it. individual that's right here. Um, that's yeah. Yes, I'm man. Quality of life improver. That's a great way to cap it off. I think absolutely. Happy. And things that and, make you happy. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. One of these days I'll have to try out the bidet. Get, get one. It. Get one. <laughs> but, get it. Um anyways, Max, 
I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast here. This is a lot of fun to get to talk to you. We yeah, had a lot of, a lot of really of cool kids club. Yeah, you're uh, part of the cool, cool kids, kids club. club. <laughs> Just another thing that you and all of us have in common. Um, 